I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA, and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes, and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. Who's sitting across from me? Uh, this is Michael the Cat Rothman. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go with the cats. There was a wrestler I used to love called Ernest the Cat Miller. Oh. Well, that's why I did it too. That's huge, why you did it? I, I'm a huge wrestling fan. <laughs> no, you're I not. Was a, I was a huge wrestling fan, but not anymore. When? Uh, 96 to about 2001. Who was your favorite wrestler? At the, uh, Bret Hart. Ah, the Hitman. He, he has a great nickname, actually, in the middle. The Hitman, yeah. There yeah. you go. Who's uh, joining us from across the phone lines? Hey, guys. This is Jen, the attack cat, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Does that make you Clovis? Oh, yeah. It does. Yeah, man. Don't we all want to be Clovis? I love bit? Clovis the kitty. I wish I had Clovis yeah. the cat. That would be cool. So, wait. Before we get started... So, Mike, you told me that Jen told you about when a cat was killed in this movie. Yes. So did you tell her that I have uh, a big problem with cats dying? No, I think you've mentioned on the podcast. Advice. Yeah, I listen to the pod. That's how I know. Oh, that's so that's like warms my heart because Mike was just like was like, well, Jen told me to tell you that uh, a cat dies at this point in the movie. And I literally set an alarm on my phone for when. You really? Yeah. But then. Mike and I paused it to like talk about dumb shit for a while. Yeah. So then like, so then I wasn't, when it actually happened, I wasn't prepared, but it was so cheesy. I was totally fine yeah. with it. Yeah. But I, I do. Here's the thing. I can watch any kind of human die on film. Yeah. Any of them, <laughs> any of them. I don't care. But once you hurt sweet animals, including we have a dog with us who is recording named Murphy. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Uh, Candace Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think if there was like a Stephen King character named Murphy. I feel like there has to be. There has to be somewhere in there. But I, I just can't yeah. think of it right now. But anyways, we're happy to have Murphy here. He might growl or howl or a little bit because he misses Mike's girlfriend. So. Yeah. yeah. His, uh, his surrogate mom. So, uh, <laughs> but hey, we're not talking about dogs today. Yeah, we didn't even like clarify we, what we're talking about. No, you have no idea. The, the listeners right now are like, what? Fuck no, I think yeah, they, they, they saw when they clicked on the episode yeah. to listen to it that we're talking about. 1992 Sleepwalkers, uh, which is a, a, a horror film yes. uh, written by <laughs> written by the author Stephen King, the, the subject of this podcast, <laughs> and uh, directed by a little man, by, by the, not little, a he's little actually man. quite tall. He's quite tall. And he's long hair. He has very long, beautiful gray hair, yeah. although he didn't when he made this. No, he had his name is Mick surfing. Garris. Mick Garris. Front of the pod? For, uh, kind of. <laughs> didn't he unfollow us? I feel like he unfollowed us on Twitter. Oh. 
He's unfriend of the. Pod. He was the first interview we ever did on this podcast. Well, actually, that's not true. I think he was the second. He I was think, a big gift. I think Adam Stork might have been our Adam first. Adam Stork might have been our first. And I think McGarris yeah. was second. And then uh, WGS, uh, WG Snuffy Walden was our third. Which was great. Which all was, those uh, yeah. interviews were great. And they're all Although, well, isn't our Adam Stork interview <laughs> no, yeah, lost it, the time? The, the audio is just awful on The it, audio so. is bad, but it was good. He was like fun. He yelled, my life for you, like the trash can man at the yeah, end of which it. Which was fun. Yeah. yeah, I love Adam Stork. Like, the thing is, like... I was like a non-Stork fan until after I rewatched the miniseries for the pod. And I was like, I've come around. I am uh, pro-Stork. I am pro-Stork. I loved him in Mystic Pizza, which is a fun <laughs> Julia Roberts fan. Uh, you know, if you, could, if you could find it, it's a nice little rental. Jen, um, what is your thoughts on Adam Stork? Okay, he plays Larry, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I always think he's Dale Midkiff. And those <laughs> yes. are most of my thoughts about him. <laughs> We love Dale. Dale's great. I we, do too, yeah. It's, you know, it's really funny. So when we were doing our Pet Cemetery episodes, and this is like right around the time, right before we uh, did our Stephen King Film Festival, uh, which we were playing Pet Cemetery at, uh, I reached out to Dale through uh, his Facebook. Because oh, we yeah. found him on Facebook. And I remember it said red, and then he never got that. <laughs> oh. I want to see a version of The Outsider where uh, – it's like the J- like Jason Bateman's character is played by Dale Midkiff? Adam Stork and oh. Dale Midkiff. Like that's oh the, yeah, that could be good. Cool. The two versions. <laughs> I, I want to say that they don't look exactly the same anymore. They don't. Um, yeah, but it I still think it's still works. The charisma factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so we're here to talk about Sleepwalkers, which. Uh, man, I guess let's go around and talk about like our first experiences with this movie. It, it should be noted that this was originally going to be a Lobstrosities episode yeah. because we thought this was so far removed from anything King, uh, mm. but we felt it would be a disservice to King because he wrote, he wrote it. <laughs> like this is like 100% original King, whereas Lobstrosities are more like, okay, well, let's talk about Children of the Corn sequels, right? Yeah. But yeah. hey, man, there's some corn... There's some corn content in this movie. There's a little corn content. Which we'll and talk about. I would wager to bet that the majority of the corn sequels we've discussed on this podcast are like eons ahead of this movie. Yeah. 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 And I say eons <laughs> with hyperbole, but not so much hyperbole. Like this movie is bad. And it's pretty bad, but yeah. we don't want to alienate you. There are things that are fun. I think like if you grew up on it, it's one thing, but so I think that's a good way to go into it. Like, I this was my first time seeing the movie, which is rare for me. I feel like yeah. I feel like I'm one of the people on the pod who I've usually had some encounter with King related things yeah. before uh, we engage with them on the podcast. But I, what I'll always remember about Sleepwalkers was I had a VHS tape in my parents had a VHS tape in their collection. And it had taped the Breakfast Club uh, <laughs> off uh you know fox or something yeah so it was the mm-hmm. it was the edited version the saturday night movie <laughs> yeah and it was the edited version which like cuts out the entire sequence where they go to get pot from like john nelson's <laughs> so locker you have no reason why there's no at- i i remember it was so funny when i was like a why kid, are they leaving detention i had no clue why they had left descent detention and were in the hall and they then when i got older lens. i'm like oh they were getting weed like i never understood yeah. why yeah. and so it was i just thought they were in the hall to have fun not, not to go on a tangent <laughs> on breakfast club but i actually did didn't realize that like Mike Anthony Michael Hall had there was like a gun that's in his locker I think yeah it's a yeah. flare gun but yeah, yeah. that's what, yeah and I, I it didn't occur to me until like I got older like how I understand that, that is meant. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah like especially after like Columbine and everything like yeah that. so yeah. you know but I love that movie when I was young and I used to watch the VHS tape of it a lot and but they it had all the commercials on it oh. and there were two <laughs> commercials on it that scared me and they were both trailers because oh, this was I was really young one of them was 
it's so funny because neither of them are scary at yeah. all. <laughs> One of them was uh, Army of Darkness, oh, the Bruce Campbell movie. movie. And the other one was Sleepwalkers. And I remember both of those commercials like scared the living hell out of me. <laughs> and I was so, I used to fast forward specifically through the Sleepwalkers one because it just really freaked Do me you, out. Now watching this tonight, did you remember any of the you know imagery from just that Just the cat faces. Yeah. Like, or the faces that they make when they like transform. Did you, and you didn't own a cat growing up, right? No. That, that's the funny thing is like. Is like I just was scared of it because I was scared of horror movies, and then you know I got over my fear of horror movies when I was older, when I was in high school, and I got really into horror, but I never saw Sleepwalkers. Even when I got really into King, and I was reading King all the time, it was just Sleepwalkers was one where I was like, eh, it just kind of seems like a cheesy yeah. sort of thing, and not really. And it is, yeah. <laughs> but it was like never something that I thought that it was something I need to go and revisit. So as we approached this, I thought it was really funny that I I'm basically I came into this as blind as as could be which is really fun for me because that's pretty rare and um yeah it was kind of a wild experience so uh well you've finally seen it and this is another thing that you you know you can knock off your list of king because you i think there's only like what one or two things that you haven't read oh i think there's like four or five i haven't read cell i haven't read joyland i haven't read like blockade billy i haven't read um, you know, you might be beat by Jen here because I think she's. Yep. I think you've read everything at this point, right? Or... I have about a hundred pages left of the Institute, and I have to go back and read Brooklyn August from Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and ah. then I have read everything. Wow, because I... she's up there with Caffrey. Yeah, because Ka- the only thing Caffrey oh, yeah? hasn't read, I think, is Outsider. He hasn't read the Institute either, and he hasn't read the Institute. Like no, he hasn't no. read some of the latest stuff because he's but... been busy in school. Yeah, he's busy in school, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I have a few. Uh, gaping holes like sort of in my king but I feel like I've read most stuff whereas like you know Mac I think is fun because he's he only read the dark yeah. tower before he yeah. joined the pod so which is kind of crazy when you really think about I know. it like as that's his first foray into king yeah because I had read all the you know the institutions of king yeah uh, you know the classic the iconography like ones and and so you know it's really just like the little stuff in between that I'm trying to catch up on but um let's just say sleepwalkers wasn't one of them either because uh <laughs> the only thing i have connective tissue with is uh is just seeing this in like blockbuster you know yeah. and also seeing it in theaters i do remember seeing this theatrical poster at uh coral ridge 10 which is a, a, a movie theater that i would go to with my father and uh and my mother um all the time uh in fort lauderdale florida um, and I remember really loving the poster because it, you know, it looks like a Goosebumps book. It, it really you know, is. The aesthetic of it. And I love the, the, the blues and the purples. And I like how all the cats are kind of, you know, preening and going up oh, to wow. the, the fucking house. So it looks like something crazy is going to happen. Yeah. And I guess in a way something crazy does happen in this movie. It's just not nearly as fun as the poster, <laughs> you know, insists. But in, in my head and looking back now, I'm thinking... If they did adapt all the stuff that happened in a Goosebumps book, it probably would look a lot like Sleepwalkers on screen. Only um, less gory. Only less gory. Less yeah. incest, too. Oh, less God, yeah. That's a, That was a big shocker here. <laughs> well, but, uh... Jen, Jen, what's your experience with Sleepwalkers? Um, I imagine I probably taped it off of TV and watched it because I know that I've seen it before, but I, I'm sure I was too young to go see it in the theaters. And I remember watching it and being really excited because it was like I was just really excited by everything Stephen King um, and watching it and feeling like I didn't really want to admit that I didn't like it. <laughs> And then it wasn't that good because <laughs> I love Stephen King. And I was like, eh, I don't know. Like I, I had not revisited it until just yesterday. Yeah. I, I love those 
that's actually like a really fun topic as I get older is like, what is the first movie that you remember seeing like in a theater or something and realizing you didn't like, yeah. or, or at least like seeing like, I don't know when you were young and impressionable and you liked everything. Yeah. Like for me, yeah. I always think about, uh, this is such a dumb example, but like the movie surf ninjas oh, Lord. that had, <laughs> yeah. that had Leslie Nielsen and Rob Schneider in it. Oh, like, Lord. oh man, I saw, I remember one day my dad, like going to the movies was a huge deal when I was yeah, a kid. Like yeah. it was like a big event mm-hmm. and I loved it because I love movies. So when my dad actually was like, oh, do you want you and your brother want to go see a movie? I was like, yeah. And then I like got to choose the movie and I chose Surf Ninjas. <laughs> and it was at the Dirt Theater like in my neighborhood. Yeah. And we went and I just remember walking out and even my dad just goes, that movie sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Because Three Ninjas is better than that movie, and Three Ninjas is not. Oh, I see. I love Three Ninjas when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing isn't Surf Ninjas the one where the kid has a video game thing and is able to beat up people with the video game? Absolutely. No logic there. No. Like, but man, I thought I I was like so excited for it, and then what a disappointment. Uh, that and I remember when I saw the movie Gone Fishing with Joe Pesci oh, and Danny Glover. Oh, you saw that movie? Yeah, I oh, saw it in Lord. theaters and I thought it was really shitty. It is kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> Justin and I always joke at the movies that we've seen when we were old enough to have agency to pick what movies we wanted to go see <laughs> and the Friday nights we would waste. And, like, we always joke about, like, all those movies that came out in the early aughts, like uh, City by the Sea oh, or yeah. something like that. Or, like, you know, Don't Say a Word. Um, or is it Don't Tell a Word? Or Don't say- I think it's Don't Say a Word with Michael Douglas and Brittany Murphy. Um, and, like, <laughs> because movies cost, like, $5 back then. Michael Douglas and Brittany Murphy. Oh, yeah. Murphy yeah. Like, he has together? to, like, try to find her or something like that. It's, oh, it's supposed- it was kind of capitalizing on, like, traffic in the game a little sure, bit. Sure, yeah. Um, and every Friday, I would just go see these movies because that was the only thing to do. Well, yeah, I saw a lot of weird shit. Yeah, yeah. and it's just mm-hmm. kind of weird to think, like, would I have done the same if I was older in the 90s and would have Sleepwalkers been one of them? Probably. Oh, I absolutely would have. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's sort of like like where I'm at now in my life is where I'm like, yeah, I could go see the big award mini movies, but then like I remember when Underwater with Kristen Stewart was out, I was yeah. so excited to go see like a low stakes horror movie. Oh, totally. And mm-hmm. man, I had a great time with that movie. <laughs> well, I, I'd, I'd say that you probably have that same experience, Jen, but you literally have to watch uh, kind of cre- sometimes great, sometimes awful horror movies on a weekly basis with the horror yes. version. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, we, and because I have kids, I don't like get to watch that much that I really like choose to watch now. So a lot, most of it's just for the pod. Um, and we just watched the woman in black the other day and uh. that, um, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I've heard it's good. I, a friend of mine saw the play that it's based on oh, in, yeah? in London and said it's like one of the best theatrical experiences. Oh, really? Ever had. It, yeah. I wonder it's spooky really? though. Yeah, you it's loved good. it. Is the movie is the movie not great? I've never seen no, it. The movie it's really good. It's like a better version of the Nun. Okay. So like oh, depending on what you're looking for, like it scared the shit out of Todd. I, we thought we were gonna have to stop the movie halfway through. Ooh. Which is funny because Todd thinks that like. Because on the horror version, they have the one through ten, like as yeah. the, the rating, and like I, I want to see Todd give Hellraiser a one. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> hey man, Hellraiser's not for everybody. I know, I know. Yeah. I just it's- often think about that movie, and I get like if if it's in the middle of the night and I've woken up, but you up probably and, saw it at like a seminal time. Well, that, but also like I just think of the themes of it. Like when you like actually mm-hmm. like think about like the implications of what's happening in that movie, it's really terrifying. Wait, who wrote that? Clive- Clive Barker, Barker. which is a who's a a star of Sleepwalkers. He is a star of Sleepwalkers. (laughs) Thank you for bringing me back. You brought me back from hell. Um, 
no, no, no. I think uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think, and I actually think that's like a good segue into. Um, oh wait a second! I'm getting a phone call. Wait, what? What is from, it from from Mike Hanlon? Mike Hanlon? Yeah, he's from the, it from the Dairy Public Library. From the Dairy Public Library. I guess we got to head there. Mike Hanlon, if you see. Hey, excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do. Well, you better let the poor guy out. Yo, Mike Hanlon. Did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. <laughs> Welcome to the Dairy Public Library. It's this is cold in here. It's Mike Hanlon speaking. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm Mike Hanlon. Yeah, you're Mike Hanlon. <laughs> Problematic. Um... <laughs> This is where we break down the history of a movie that we're discussing because we go to the we go to the stacks. <laughs> well, actually, uh, you go to the stacks. I go to the basement where the stop motion uh, figurine comes and gets me or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, well, yeah. That's a reference to 2017's It. Directed I thought by you were Andy referencing. Muschietti. Well, what about the Library Ghost? From, oh, Library Ghost too from Ghostbusters. From Ghostbusters, yeah. Uh, which scared the fucking hell out of me. Well, that and that's funny because not to try, try it back to the horror version, <laughs> but. On their their number one ranking for like one to ten, so ten they put you put Texas Chainsaw Massacre as something usurped it yet. Like, it's, it's, yeah, we have, and so that was kind of like I don't know if there really is a scariest movie ever, but everybody yeah. knows Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. so that's why that's our ten. Yeah. Because if I say Martyrs and you don't know what Martyrs is, then that doesn't it's like, mean. What does that mean? Yeah. I need to see Martyrs. I still haven't seen it. But their one is Ghostbusters. <laughs> so their one is Ghostbusters. It is. Well, it's not. It's it's a comedy. It is a comedy. Yeah. I think the movie's actually genuinely scary. I think it has like, moments. I think the second one has scarier moments, though. But I just think that for me, yeah. it's like it's like it's like yeah, I don't watch Ghostbusters to be scared. Yeah, it's yeah. like right. it's a comedy. I love it. But, but the whereas, library ghost is scary. But I I agree. Like when I was a kid, library ghost was terrifying. Yeah. But and I will the say game is really. Terrifying, but I will say but... Texas Chainsaw Massacre is to me. I hadn't seen that. Like that was. I a was huge, there the night you. Yeah, said, I yeah. saw that for the first time. Like. Maybe like four or five years. I think ago. it was like six years ago. Yeah, I love yeah. that movie. Like me that. Too. That to me is like is I think like that dinner scene to me. That's mm-hmm. the epitome of horror. Oh, and it was when they made it. I mean, and I I think yeah. it still is. Like yeah. for me, that movie, especially that scene in particular, is probably the scariest thing I've ever seen. I would it's agree. It's so disturbing too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and well, it's, it's just like like when they when they have her head over the bucket or whatever, and they're like mm-hmm. hitting her with a hammer, and then they keep calling her a bitch and stuff. It's like yeah. it's like nasty, man. Yeah. Like like like. And you could only like she it only could have existed this. in that moment where they're in like a hundred and ten degree yeah. room and they're mm-hmm. they're all like delusional and half of them aren't actors yeah. and it's like they don't know what they're doing and that's what's and so everyone's losing scary. their god yeah they're mind. all losing their minds mm-hmm. it's so scary because I want to say they spent twenty four hours doing that scene yeah I think it might have been more than twenty four hours uh, from what I read about it yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I, apparently it was just uh, a, a nightmare shoot and mm-hmm. um, unfortunately because of the coronavirus I'm not going to actually go to any of the shooting locations. <laughs> because uh, it seems like uh, all my plans for next week are going to South by Southwest it might be uh, up in the air. So we'll, we'll see. Oh, wow. yeah. I would say that the second scariest movie I've ever seen is Sleepwalkers. The Nick Garris. <laughs> you brought it back. Kitty, kitty cat werewolf Well, movie. hey, you know, look, we've got a lot of history to discuss. Actually, we don't. But um, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever files that Mike Hanlon was able to dig up for us, <laughs> Uh, he's laid them all here on the table. I love this mythology um, you dig up. Like Mike works with the well, pod. One of the things I love is that, like, if you read any of our write-ups around consequence of sound or any of our things, I always make it as if like we're actually like in this sort of 
world and like <laughs> like i just wrote up the 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 thing for our new friday the 13th season on uh halloweenies hey listen like, to that and it was like oh we woke up uh in camp crystal lake and now it's time to set up our tents and while we're setting up our tents we're gonna talk about the franchise it's just like so dumb but like hey it's immersive it, yeah but you know it's funny it's a yeah. jen has been uh doing that too with the horror version write-up oh, so yeah. it's been great so great. We're, we're starting a trend i like it but, but <laughs> hey look we're here in the library let's talk about the history of sleepwalkers yeah, tell There's us about the lot. history of sleepwalkers so, I'm going to read specifically from the complete Stephen King universe because this is my trusted tomb that it's I've your been Bible. Used for uh, forever. Um, he, uh, they write, while not by me- by any means the first Stephen King screenplay to be produced as a motion picture, that would be Creepshow, Cat's Eye, Silver Bullet, Maximum Overdrive, and Pet Cemetery Whoa. that all preceded this. Uh, so you'd think that he would have actually had a hand of being, you know, like a stronger <laughs> hand here. Um <laughs> Only 1992 Sleepwalkers could claim the distinction of being his first truly original screenplay. That is one that was not based on any previously published short story or novel. It was also the first feature film in which the best-selling author would work with a talented young director named Mick Garris, who would later be selected by King to direct TV miniseries adaptations of The Stand and The Shining. And then he'd also do Riding the Bullet and all. Um, I'm going to end there because that's pretty much... Uh, the 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 majority of the the history in terms of like where this is going, but like, I mean, this came out in '92, which was ostensibly you know after the whole Coke era of King. Now, I would argue that this is absolutely still a product of maybe he wrote, maybe he made this movie after you know he got sobered up and everything, but this fucking screenplay like screams of someone that is like on benders left and right it's really yep. fucking strange yeah yeah so but let's talk i'm curious like so mick garris like his sort of like he was working his breakout was working on amazing stories yeah in the mid 80s yeah. he was a writer and he also directed an episode and then his and then he directed the sequel to critters in 1988 yeah. and he directed psycho Four: the beginning in 1990 and then two years later he did sleep yeah and a lot of fans actually really like psycho Four. um i'm yeah. not a huge I'm, I'm not a fan of the sequels at all for psycho even though a lot of people claim they love them and um, I believe Tom Holland wrote the screenplay for Psycho 2. I can't remember. Really? Um, I, it's, it's another horror icon that wrote the screenplay, but it was, and Justin's going to fucking kill me for, for <laughs> butchering that because it's like one of his favorite sequels. But like, for me, it's like, I've always thought that like Psycho never needed sequels. Like, and it, pro- and mm-hmm. like logically it doesn't make any sense why it would have sequels, but people love Psycho 4. So he was, cl- Garris is clearly building up a name for himself. And you could tell based on all the horror icons that are in this, you know, in Sleepwalkers. I mean, you have, Toby Hooper, John Landis, uh, Clive Barker, a young Clive Barker, makes an appearance. Uh, yeah, Joe Dante. About, yeah, Joe Dante. Um, I, I mean, he clearly was part of the horror community at this point. And yeah. this was maybe his big breakout? Well, if there's some... Wait, you're talking about Mick Garris? Like, this is his big, like, leap for... Like, well, up, I think I would... the thing with Mick Garris, and I think that what we've learned about him from having spoken to him on the pod and then also listening to his own podcast and listening to other people talk about him. Cause I feel like we've, whenever we've interviewed people who have worked with him, they always have nothing but like really brilliant things to say about oh, him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I think Mick Garris was one of those guys who just like everybody who comes across him, like wants to keep working with him or hanging out with him. Cause he's just a good dude. And so like, that's just generally the vibe I get. And I feel like if there's one thing that like, I don't know, it kind of warms my heart a little bit when I think about sleepwalkers, it's this whole idea that, Mick Garris, who's this guy who, you know, he hasn't really created any sort of iconic horror thing of his own, but he's been sort of adjacent Mm -hmm. to all these really great horror properties. And he also is friends with all these people. And just the idea that 
in this movie Sleepwalkers, which is, you know, a B-rate horror movie at best. He's got, you know, the author Stephen King, but then Clyde Barker, Toby Hooper, John Landis, and uh, uh, Joe Dante all doing cameo roles. Like, there's just something kind of, like, I don't know, like, wistful and sweet about that. But then that kind of idea carries over into The Stand, too, because a lot of these guys, like, even, you know, Sam Raimi goes and makes a cameo in The Stand also. Mm. So, like... I mean, it seems as if that is his forte is like, I mean, even look what he had. He had Masters of Horror, the the series for Showtime, which was literally just him hanging out with all his horror friends. He just recently did Nightmare Cinema last year. So like you get a sense that like he's while he might not be like, you know, the the sharpest uh, director, uh, like he's certainly one that's so amicable and beloved because he's just genuinely probably a really sweet person. I mean, like that's what I've got. I mean, I've only, you know, I've interviewed him twice. I interviewed him last year for Nightmare Cinema and interviewed him for when we bought, we all interviewed him for uh, the stand in uh, 2017. And every time I, I always tell him, I'm like, it is such a joy talking to you because there's a benevolence to you. And I, and I get that sense that like, even though he's making macabre stuff, he comes from like a sense of like that, like whimsy that comes from like early horror, like yeah. maybe fifties, mm-hmm. like sixties monster horror in a way. Yeah. And so in that sense, like that's kind of how I always try to look at his movies is that it's coming from those, that 50 serialized horror of that of that age and, and maybe that's why he's kind of a good match for king because king mm-hmm. grew up in that era too yeah um well there's know. that there's that campiness you know yeah. it's like mm-hmm. there's this but the thing is like and we'll talk about this more as we dig into the actual product a little bit more but it's like <laughs> it's it's that imbalance of uh of silliness campiness with sort of like this emotional component yeah and i which, think that's where he stumbles yeah that's what that's a hard thing to balance so uh, uh jen like what's your experience with mick garris have you seen sort of a lot of his uh his movies no i think really only um the stephen king stuff sleepwalkers the stand and the shining which for a long time i said i loved because it was more faithful to the book and now can admit that it is not good <laughs> <laughs> when's the last time you watched the stand miniseries Oh gosh, I don't know. Probably five or six years ago, I think. Yeah. And I love it. That's that was, I think, my first experience with Stephen King at all. Same and then, too. yeah, yeah. Same. And then my dad had the book on the shelf, so of course I read it. And the rest is history. But um, and I love it. It's like it's 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 like Sleepwalkers. It's like there's that campiness, but I almost like you can feel the love and the warmth, like you mm-hmm. were talking about. And that's why I love reading Stephen King too, because I just feel like he likes all of his characters. And you can kind of feel that in Mick Garris. And I think like if you look at Mike Flanagan now, I think he has kind of that same understanding of King's work. I think he's just able to pull it off a little better. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that in in the same respect, we were actually talking about this while watching Sleepwalkers, that that they they both have this this dedication to to King. You know, they're not Mm -hmm. exactly like, you know, like slavish to them, but like, um, Kit Flanagan certainly was in the beginning, you know. Yeah. Um, Gerald's game is pretty much what, like match for match for the from pages to screen. Uh, yeah, but I would just say like, even though Doctor Sleep differs from the book, I I think it's almost more of a demonstration of devotion to King exactly. because it yeah. tries mm-hmm. so hard to bridge the gap between Stanley Kubrick's movie and the book. And we mm-hmm. talk about, we talk a lot about that on our episode, which hey, go back and listen to if you haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think that I think that like Flanagan in terms of being sort of, you know, such a fan really shines through the same thing with Mick Garris. And, and I think like on this pod, especially if you go back and listen to our episode on the Shan Stan miniseries, I mean, obviously we have our critiques of it because there's plenty to be made, but it's, it's really hard to like, not like that yeah. mm-hmm. adaptation because a, the hardest thing to adapt 
it's such like a sprawling story and Mm-hmm. And he was young even when you did this too. Yeah, yeah, even when you're given eight hours to do it or whatever, and it's like, and the fact that he, I think he does such a good job at distilling it. Yeah. I still think mm-hmm. it's like a wildly flawed adaptation, and some of the casting to me is really off. But like, well, some of the casting is really great, and some of the casting is really yeah. off. I mean, for me, I always say, and I've said this on the episode, is like Harold Lauder. I love Corin Nemec, but worst, <laughs> worst fucking casting ever. I know, I know. I mean, if only he knew a young Philip Seymour Hoffman at that time. I know. Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what a fucking gift that would have been. But it's like. So that would have been 94. So I think Son of a Woman was 92 or 91 maybe. And so that well, was Well, he like, had done he Blood been, Simple too with yeah. uh, Paul Thomas Anderson around that time. So Oh, no, not Blood Simple. You mean Heart 8. Um, oh, Heart 8. Yeah, I'm confusing yeah. with the Coen Brothers. Yeah, no, no. But uh, that's an easy way to get confused. <laughs> They're both great American filmmakers. But he's so good good in heart eight yeah. like imagine that that era i know oh it's, it would have been perfect Lauder. it would have been, been perfect and he would have looked enough and he like looked him more too like the, the character in the book yeah. yeah i mean for me it's i think with with garris a lot of the 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 things he does get right about stephen king is usually the attention to character um you're you know mm-hmm. like even if you don't really feel so much about the aesthetic and the horror that's actually happening on screen you get a, a sense that, that Garrus has a good grasp on the actual characters at play and mostly because he is a constant reader and he understands what works and what doesn't work with a lot of characters mm. in the in the books and all. Um, with this, I think because he's so... He's working literally with King um, on the screenplay that there isn't a lot of ways to kind of, you know you're not adapting so much as just working literally with source material at this point, because the source Mm -hmm. material is literally King's script. So I think a lot of the flaws of this movie, uh, fall on both of them. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and which is kind of like a new sort of twist here because, um, I mean, granted King wrote the script for, uh, the stand also. So, you know, that's, (laughs) there's a there's sort of flaws in that respect, but this is like a literally like the things that I have problems with this in this movie are mostly story based stuff. Like uh-huh. I, I think the story of this is just batshit crazy, and that's that's on King, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I can't really throw too much on Garris here when the source material for this well, let's is just talk, what is wild. this about? Like, <laughs> can we break this down? So basically, we know that we have Charles Brady is mm-hmm. the main character and yeah. he is played by brian kraus uh young mm-hmm. hu- young hunk they might say <laughs> and, let me let me read the one sentence yeah thing read the, on, on wikipedia yeah, and yeah, see if yeah. this works for us <laughs> the film revolves around the the last two survivors of a vampiric shape-shifting species that feed on the life force of human female virgins can i just say that like I feel like we, I don't know. Okay, we weren't watching it as close yeah. as maybe we should have been, but we were watching it yeah. somewhat close. And I missed the entire thing about them being the last two survivors. You know, it's like in the beginning, and then they, they have like the definition in the beginning of like the sleepwalker, That's which is much. just ridiculous. And then they go into like the And then TV we credits. spend a whole credit sequence showing us Egyptian symbols. Yeah. It's a little too much. It's much. It's but much. let me just say that. So they feed on virgin girls. Machinamic. Machinamic. Yeah, that's in their scripture. They go, you must feed on Machinamic. <laughs> From Twin Peaks. And, but basically it's like, so there's these attempts to sort of feed on her, but they're thwarted by, you know, his high school teacher, the local mm-hmm. sheriff, a cat named Clovis. <laughs> 
various the best cat. I love this cat. And not only are they are they shape shifting humans into cats, they also have shape shifting cars that can go from you know old blue. I don't remember what it's what they are, but blue car to a blue car to a red car. <laughs> yeah, uh, a must. I think it's a Dodge into a Mustang. But maybe, so like but. cats are their like mortal enemies, so they have all these like uh, traps in yeah. the yard to kill cats. But cats keep like showing up and not getting killed by yeah. the traps. Are, are we are we still on the same page that he was on cocaine when he wrote this? Because I, this I, is well, it's so funny like King's relationship to animals, right? You know, because we see on his Twitter account that he loves animals. He has he has his corgis. He loves yeah. his dogs. But he loves to inflict pain on animals. Well, he also is kind of terrified of cats. Well, is he? I mean, think about it. Pet cemetery with church. Cat's eye, which is Ah, like this roaming cat that is just kind of the eye of the beholder. Um, Smoker's ink. And then, yeah, Quitter's Inc. Yeah, Quitter's Inc. <laughs> I'm just saying, Inc. that's in Cat's Eye. Uh, Models no. Inc., uh, Tori Spelling. Yes. Um, but uh, Aaron Spelling, I mean. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the second the second in the Melrose place to, to Models Inc. to 90210. Why do I know this? Because I'm a psycho. But Models Inc., the best <laughs> of all of them. They, yeah, it was great. Oh, it was wow. for one season. Um, but, so, uh, but yeah, it's like I do find it because, you know, he's got Cujo and then he's got Pet Cemetery, and then he's got Sleepwalkers. <laughs> and he's got the do- uh, poor Raider and Needful Things. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I do find uh. it fascinating the way that like animals do factor into his work and the cruelty that he can inflict upon animals is something that I struggle with. Like Cujo is a book I've read. I'll never read it again. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can deal with that. Uh, even like the way he writes Cujo in the stand. Like I love it. You like, mean Kojak. I, like, Oh, Kojak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I said Cujo, my bad. It's like Kojak. Like, could you imagine if it was Cujo in the stand? <laughs> Dude, we've put Cujo Everything. throughout this pod in every <laughs> single King property. So I almost, I almost want to like kind of steal and crib from the ringer and ask, like, add a thing, like, if we add Cujo into the story, <laughs> does it make it better? <laughs> um, in this case, I would say yes for Sleepwalkers. But oh, dude, I'd love to see Cujo team up with Clovis. And but, then... but, but Jen, do you do you remember any other books that have involved cats? Because I, I, I don't think I'm. Too There's crazy. a short story called The Cat from Hell that is in um, it's in Just After Sunset, I think. But that one, the cat actually is terrible. Well, he's from hell, but he like burrows through somebody. But that's what I mean. Like, I think that he's I think King might legitimately be terrified of cats. He might. He be. might. Yeah. Cats and spiders. I don't know why. Yeah. Kitties are so good. Yeah. <laughs> See, are I, good. I just I love my I got a cat in God, what, 2015, 2016. And it is changed my life yeah i love this cat name my michelle visage mm-hmm. that i my yeah. life revolves around this cat <laughs> and um and so it's very hard for me to watch any kind of violence against cats uh mm-hmm. but it was so cheesy in this movie it didn't really bother me but it's like uh it is but it is hard for me to root pet cemetery because i feel so bad for church like yeah. that's something i really mm-hmm. struggled with when we were working on that book and so but it is interesting to me like this fascination with animals and i think that you know when he i think that but the thing is when i think about sleepwalkers and we talked about this a little bit when we were watching it it's like i just don't think that mick garrett and it, it, this is why it surprises me that king keep at, kept asking him to work on his work because yeah. like i don't think mick garris is a bad director or anything but mm-hmm. i i look at the script king wrote because mm-hmm. it's filled yep. with, it's filled with cheesy shit oh yeah like the one-liners so- in this movie are and atrocious. we'll talk Terrible. more about them later, yeah. but there is the line where like he rips off his teacher's hand and he's like, you know, I've got to hand it to you or whatever. And he like holds out his hand uh. or whatever. It's like King was being goofy when mm-hmm. he wrote the script. But then there's so many like emotional beats and all this like crying. It's as if like wailing. it's as if like um, 
like 1986 era David Lynch met John Waters and then like the Fairley brothers <laughs> took over halfway through <laughs> this like wacko, you know, game of hot potato in the director's chair. It's so weird. It's very mm-hmm. odd. And and I don't think that I think tonally it's it's as I want it's weird because it's like you look at all the tonal inconsistencies in this movie and you're like, well, is it Mick Garris or is it King? And I think it's both. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of both. But I think that for me, I, I just look at I think that King was really thinking about writing a really campy, cheesy 50s style yeah. horror movie like that's more of a comedy than it is a drama. And I feel like the drama was emphasized a bit too much. Oh, in I the agree. Direction. Yeah. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, because it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a comedy. Right. It feels like it is a comedy. And I wonder if this was, since Mick Garris was starting out kind of at this point, I wonder if there was an element of like working with Stephen King, who was like already a household name and kind of being afraid to say, this is a really stupid line and we should change it. <laughs> I think that um, could be it for sure. Yeah. Of course, then you see, I, you see some of The Shining and it makes me think maybe that's not so much the case. <laughs> but I, I, Stephen King, is my everything and I love him but I do not think he is a good dialogue writer yeah and my problem with this um movie is mostly the script I think it's just it's hard to get on board with what's happening when you keep laughing at the dialogue (laughs) and I remember when I was watching Under the Dome speaking of when you realize like your heroes aren't perfect when I was watching Under the Dome as far as I could stand to actually watch it um, I got through one season I think that was it what'd you say I think I got through one season of that show and well I did too I got through the first season yeah. like I kind of begrudgingly watched it because my husband was into it and then the second or the first season of the second episode I think to try to hook everybody in they're like Stephen King wrote the script yay uh-huh. and so I was like okay yay it's gonna be good and it was not and yeah. that's when I realized mm, not so sure about his dialogue because what he's really good at is like explaining thought processes and like setting atmosphere right right not so much like the what the characters actually say but it works in his books because of everything else is so good yes and you know what else he's so good at which is like when i think about his strengths as a writer and this is something we've talked about a lot in the pod but it's like something that can't be conveyed through uh tv or film is he's so good at writing pain yeah you know what i mean like like Mm -hmm. if somebody is suffering or if somebody's like been hurt or if somebody is in peril he can write that so well well and one of the reasons why he writes that so well is because a lot of the times he's wiring whatever pain is happening at that given moment with either echoes of something similar that happened to that pain, like maybe years past or to that mm-hmm. person yeah. with those little side stories that he's so well, you know, he's, he's, he's so, um, you know, able to do. Right. Um, but you can't do that on the screen without, right. you know, cause it's just, that stuff doesn't translate, yeah. you know, like when you think back to like pet cemetery and, all the emotional turmoil that like, you know, Lewis goes through, you get so much more on the pages because you're able to see like all these little things that have built up to that. And you know, you can't get that on the the, the screen and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's like, but, but then I don't know. I think about like the raft, right? And so where you have some context about the characters, but also man, the way he's able to write a guy's leg liquefying yeah. and breaking Ooh, through the mm-hmm. cracks in a uh, in a raft is one of the most painful things I've ever read. Read, yeah. you know, or it's yeah. like even in the Running Man, which is a book I don't think is very good. Mm-hmm. The when there's that scene where they, he's like stuck in like the pipe in the pipe, yeah. you know, underground. It's one of the most claustrophobic things I've ever read. It yeah. makes me like sick to my stomach, and I love mm-hmm. it. And it's like that's what he's so good at. Whereas I agree, Jen. It's like his dial, like. 
I like if there's one thing that I think is funny is um I'm I'm rereading The Outsider right now for a feature I'm writing and it's like he clearly loves the writer Harlan Coben, right? Because mm-hmm. Harlan Coben is, you know, a friend of his probably. But it's like he loves Harlan Clo- Coben so much that when he finds a way to work Harlan Coben into his plot in The Outsider, he can't write about Harlan Coben without all the characters going, oh, oh. man, his new book is so good. I know. I hate <laughs> when he does that shit. Mm-hmm. I hate, and, and also, like, uh, Sammy pointed out that, like, whenever um, <laughs> Ralph's uh, detective par- or partner is, like, they, he says, like, essay all the time. Yeah, and, like, yeah. You know, puts mm-hmm. the radio on and it happens to be, like, you know, like, Mexican radio. And so yeah. it's just, like, ridiculous. But um, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Whereas I, the actor they got for him in the series is great. Oh, he's great. And you know, yeah. you know who that is, which I didn't realize until we did a random rolls with him in AV Club. Was yeah. he's the armoire guy from Seinfeld? Oh, the guy who yeah. steals the armoire. Oh my god, that makes sense. Yeah, that's the guy from The Outsider. That's amazing. I had no idea. You know what? I am a I'm a huge believer that <laughs> Seinfeld or Seinfeldia connects the world. I dude, it's like one of the few things like. Me, my brother, and my dad all get along about yeah. is Seinfeld. Jerry's uh, Jerry's Dominion. It brings us together. I love it. <laughs> so I, there, there isn't a day that goes by, at least for the last three years, where I haven't watched an episode of Seinfeld. Well, for me, it's like I would say there hasn't been a day that has gone by that I haven't quoted Seinfeld yeah. because mm-hmm. if I can't remember a day that has gone by where I haven't said that's a shame, yes. that's something, and that's <laughs> like straight from Seinfeld. You know, it's also a shame. What the heroes and villains? <laughs> what a transition of this. Yeah, let's movie. talk about the characters. Yeah, uh, let's move on. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, they're. Uh, all right, like don't without looking, without looking. Okay, name as many characters as you can. <laughs> uh, Matchkin Amic. Yeah, you can't. What's her name? No uh, clue. Tanya. Oh, Tanya. Tanya. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we made a Tanya Harding joke. Yes, that is oh, true. Or Tans, as her mom calls her. Oh yeah. yeah. And then uh, let me think. I Let's know see. that. Hunky, in there. Hunky blonde. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Brian Krause. Oh, um, Glenn Shaddix from Beetlejuice. Yes. So we all know. <laughs> I know the actors. We know the names. actors. I'm looking. I'm literally looking all their names on Wikipedia right now. And if you just took out the actor's name and you just left their character's name, gun to my head, I wouldn't be able to answer. No clue. Any of this. No, no clue. No. Yeah, it's like it, it. It's just a movie that sort of like it operates. It operates like on sort of like. A very traditional horror template, like a teen horror slasher mm-hmm. template, but it has all this mythology to it. Mm-hmm. So, and it never really makes space to include that mythology. It just because it operates on such like a simple template well, of even, what horror movies are, and even worse, it like leans on the mythology to get away with like almost like borderline Deus Ex Machina's. Right, like yeah. you can just go jam now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. it and it begins right away with the incest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that. So we've got. So we've got. Uh, wait, I'm going to Charles up. Brady, played by um, Brian Krause. Brian Krause. Mm-hmm. Ultimate hunk. Ultimate. Yeah, it literally hunk. opens. We were laughing because it opens with him shirtless, and he's got his finger on like a yearbook or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like his finger is so pointed, yeah. and it's like it's so, and he's shirtless, yeah. and it's so aggressive. And I, and I think also like because he's supposed to be feline, that like the direction was all right. You're supposed to be feline. You know, act effeminate. 
Um, <laughs> it's very strange. And it, mm-hmm. it's very, it's, it, he, he almost goes from one person to another within five minutes in the first, you know, the first opening so act. So Charles mm-hmm. Brady, and then his mom is Mary Brady, played yeah. by Alice Creed. Of Ghost Story fame. Of Ghost Story uh, fame. King's Dominion. Uh, Peter Straub wrote uh, Ghost but Story. She's, yeah, mm-hmm. but she's, well, we'll get to King's we'll Dominion. We'll get to King's Dominion. But she's bit. also <laughs> Borg Queen. Yeah. From Borg Star Queen. Trek. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. But they basically like right from the beginning, he's like mommy, mommy. And then they're making out. Yeah. It looks like mm-hmm. she, like he's less of a son and more of a daddy. But it's um, weird. Mm. Like they go God. right into it. Like the incest <laughs> yes. is right oh, yeah. away. It's like yeah. 10 minutes in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it, yeah. And so but basically. And they like, don't dance around it either. Like, like no. It's... Like if we're going to compare movies, um, <laughs> this this movie gets to uh, incest faster than the movie The Sandlot gets to The Sandlot. <laughs> Not that we need to compare the two movies, but I'm just thinking of like, not even like like the titular Sandlot. It takes longer to get there than it does for this movie to just ease right into the incest. Like, mm-hmm. it's fucking crazy. This movie gets yeah. to the incest quicker than Schindler's List gets to the list. Oh lord, it does. Yeah, let's see if we get any more. Uh, this <laughs> this gets to the incest faster than Jurassic Park gets to Jurassic. Well, that's not true because it opens on Jurassic Park, so that's not mm-hmm. that's not. Fair. Well, it's not the park. It's more so like the it's a cage. The cage because Muldoon's like the op- uh, they're like, not looking in the park. Well, Muldoon, you know, they, they've brought in a new raptor for shoot testing her. and shoot her. <laughs> Muldoon is uh he's aware of what's going Whereas on. Whereas in Sleepwalkers, it's like kiss her, <laughs> kiss her, your mom. What if Muldoon, the actor who played Muldoon, was playing Brian? I uh, love that, that we always Charles. do this. I know. It's like we always <laughs> we play temporary producer. I've heard of temporary secretary by Paul McCartney, but temporary producer. Remember in our last episode where we asked, "What if the only people who survived the coronavirus were the people who are in the Stan miniseries?" <laughs> we are fucked up. Well, Gary Sinise out there was probably listening. And was like, "That would be a good." I bet Gary Sinise yeah. listens to our podcast. Yeah, I would hope um, so. So well, let's talk. About, so okay, so we have these two characters. They're incest uh, <laughs> demons, <laughs> and they want. They want to uh, consume a virgin. So yeah, immediately we realize that Mama, um, Mama Brady, uh-huh. aka Mary Brady, she needs food. She needs to be fed. She's hungry and now, incapable of getting that food for herself. Yeah. For so he exactly. needs to go get like, it. So weird. He yeah. sets his sight on the most beautiful girl in town, yeah. who in any other world would not be a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> so Match can Emic, one of the most beautiful women who has ever existed in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Formerly of Twin Peaks, Shelley. Shelly in Twin Peaks now. Currently Riverdale. Yeah, oh, now yeah. Riverdale. Still yeah. looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And she plays Tanya Robertson. She works at the movie theater. And he goes to the movie theater to pick her up. Yeah. And, and, I, and I like this scene, too, because, like, when they have this little, like, she's already singing, like, classic rock. Because um, it's, you know. She's listening to their Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Yeah. yeah it, it was, oh, that it was. Awesome. That's why. Okay. That makes sense then. And, and so, like. It's also like in Garris King, they, they're like rockers at heart. Um, <laughs> so you know that they're probably like, look, imagine you're going to be playing. Uh, this is a classic hit. She's like, what the fuck is this song? Yeah. <laughs> Can I sing some Madonna or something? Uh, where's Angelo? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I loved this song because of Dirty Dancing. I, uh, I but- would write, I would sit in the corner of my room and I would write all the lyrics to every single song on that soundtrack. Aww. So you, so you would have been exactly like Tanya then. And like I would singing. have. Yeah. This yeah. was when I was on board for her character. Okay. Okay. So oh, then me. <laughs> well, I actually quite like this scene. This is actually a cute scene. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, mainly because of her. Yeah. She's a great actor. But then old Charlie comes out of the movie theater. Char- 
I, he I needs some say, popcorn. Yeah, and then like she leaves, she gets in like her dad's car, and then he just appears from behind the yeah. wall, and we like both cracked up, just dying. <laughs> I feel like this most of this movie was you and I cracking up at whatever he yeah. did next. Yeah. So, uh, so there's that going on, and then we also have in a very needful thing sort of style twist. We have this small town, and we have we get to meet all the police officers. Yeah. So we have Alan Sheriff Payne, Ira, played by Jim Haney, yeah. uh, seminal character actor. Uh, then we also have, uh, what's his name, Dan Martin, who played Andy Simpson. He's the one who had the cat Clovis. Oh, yeah. So he was the police officer who kind of had this whole car chase with mm-hmm. with Mr. Brady. Now, here's the crazy thing about Dan Martin. Yeah. Uh, we looked him up. He's been in pretty much every movie and television show you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Really? But the thing is, I was Including sitting there Beverly going, why do I recognize him? And then we looked, and he had been in everything, but sadly, because I'm such a fucking rube, the thing I recognized him from was Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. He was one of the thugs in it. Yeah. I like, love that movie. I love it too. George <laughs> Lucas so cameos in it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but the, I, I hate, the thing is I've seen it on a million things, but that's the specific thing that I was recalling. Also, the villain from Black Sheep is the villain um, in that also. Yes, he is. I love him. Yeah. He's great. You're going to choose between me or your loser brother? Um, <laughs> Whatever. And then Ron Perlman is a cop named Captain mm. Soames, which Soames is the last name of the doctor Doc in the stand. Yeah, Doc Soames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's some Kings Dominion there. Which the yeah. guy who plays Doc Soames in the miniseries is the guy I, I always... <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't laugh at me. It's the guy I always imagine playing Leland Gunn. Yeah, for some reason. Mm. Even he though like the nicest like, guy Max ever. von Sydow is better, yeah. but I still like that. Imagine, imagine talking to Max von Sydow and being like, look, you know, I got to say you were great. In uh, in Chester Heston's uh, uh, needful things, but Chester is it Chester? Our Fraser. Oh, Fraser Heston. I was like throwing an R. Chester. I think I was thinking (laughs) whatever. Anyway, this fucking episode has gone off the rails. No, Um, it's not. We're on. But no, no, no. But either way, what if you had told Max Vonsaida that you preferred the guy who played? I go look, Max. You know you're great. I love you in all of Bergman's films, but I gotta say, like the guy who played Doc Soames in The Stand would have been better. Yeah. No, I gotta say he's great. He was also in Mrs. Stepper. Yeah. Well, not in this movie. Um. (laughs) He's not in this movie, but. So Ron Perlman, he doesn't show up to like three quarters through the movie. Uh, no, he just shows out to yell at everybody. I know, right? but and I then, will say I was very excited about Glenn Shaddix playing Mr. Well, it says in in IMDb he's playing Mr. Fallows. Yeah, but it sounded like he said Mr. Fallows. Oh, he definitely said Mr. <laughs> Fallows. So is that is that Charles Brady? Wait, is it Charles Brady? Is that Charles Brady being a little bit coy and calling him a dick by I calling think him so. Mr. Fallows? Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's a bad boy. Yeah, th- th- Here's the thing. If you're trying to keep a low profile because you're like a cat demon a and you want to eat the virgin soul, why yeah. are you being a bad boy? I know. Well, he kinda... yeah, How long did they plan to stay in this town? Right. Yeah, there's a lot of weird questions here. Like why, mm-hmm. for example, is a teacher following a student and not just going to the school board and being like, you know, I have some suspicions about this kid. That was one right. of the weirdest scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the and teacher... did he try to assault him in the car? Yes. Yeah. He grabbed went. I had looked away and all of a sudden his hand was ripped off and... I feel like we had the same experience. So I think that yeah. in a sense, then Charles is kind of okay to like, you know, go off on Mr. True. Fowles, I know? wrote in my notes, get your hands off him. <laughs> Justified. But then he oh, ripped his hands off and he was like, ah, you need a hand? Uh, <laughs> and then I just died of laughter. So, you know. Oh, we left. We loved it. It's, but then he like, cha- so it's. And he's yeah. driving a bug. He's driving a bug too. I like bugs. I almost he bought a, I almost bought a VW bug uh, for my first car. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. My and then my, had one. What were you going to say, Jen? 
I said, do you guys ever wonder what kind of school Stephen King went to? <laughs> well, I always like, think of, I think about like, uh, uh, sometimes they come back, which is like also <laughs> a very interesting school story. Right. Um, like what were his teachers like? And he just writes the harshest bullying too. And I just wonder like, is this what it was like in the fifties? Yeah. I think honestly, given all his depictions of bullies and even teachers, well, I guess he's kind of well, greasers, like stuff, the greaser style bully. And yeah. there are like characters that he has that are generally terrified or genuinely terrified of greasers. Like, yeah. Sometimes they come back, yeah. which was really hard for me to like picture. Cause but it picture too, like yeah. five. I like, mean, Bowers is portrayed as a, greaser he's like a greaser. Yeah. yeah. So, I, but it, like, and sometimes they always come back. I just pictured like five Fonzies um, <laughs> <laughs> wandering around, you know, Winkler clones, <laughs> Winkler clones. <laughs> yeah. But like Winkler from Barry. Um, no, just <laughs> starting right now. Yeah, you know, uh, what are you, what are you doing? You going down the hallway? Um, Love it. So yeah. Anyway, without having to go through every goddamn character, um, it should be noted that uh, you know Mary Brady, who's Alice Cridge. I just uh, feel like we're talking about the fucking Brady bunch. But this is this is the Brady bunch. Let's just call them that. <laughs> Basically, the whole conceit of this movie is that they just need to get Mad Dynamic uh, to be fed to the mother, which, in a sense, you, you'd think that, like, a, it doesn't a powerful like be being like this would have been easy to do. Yeah. But it's just, like, the most complicated fucking thing ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I was reading the Wikipedia summary of this, I they said that she was fed by having sex with her son, who had fed off of a virgin blood, which... so. <laughs> But I was like, I didn't get that from the movie. Did no, I didn't either. No, no, not but at that's all. Wikipedia says so. It has to be right. I yeah, mean, there was. But like, the thing is, this movie's so horny. Yeah, like, it is. It really is, and it doesn't like he just assumes we know all of this stuff right. without ever explaining. So who knows? Like that's what I was saying about like this whole sense that they're the last two remaining like creatures of this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like maybe that there was a line that I missed or something right at the beginning. Good it, it's like, but when you're watching a dumb movie like this, it shouldn't be like you know, that hard to ascertain. Oh, broader, no, right. not at the all. The broader story that's happening here. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's so horny that it makes sense that that would be the story and that like he gets the virgin blood and then they fuck mm-hmm. and then she gets the benefits or whatever. Right. But it was and then like, maybe because they're the only two left, like they have to like cross pollinate. You yeah. Know? But it's like, there aren't any other guys. you just think that there would be more virgins that he could go after too. <laughs> like, can he only right. go after one virgin at a time? Well, like, he already wrote her name in blood in his uh, diary. So, <laughs> all right, you know what's you know, you know what's telling about this. So, I'm looking at the w- Wikipedia. There are one, two, three, four, five graphs of this entire film. The death of Mr. Fallows, which literally happens in like the first 15 minutes of the movie, is the end of the second of the f- f- the five graphs. Good lord! Which means wow. that the next graph, which is on their first date at a picnic at a nearby cemetery, Charles <laughs> attempts to drain a Tanya's picnic life at a nearby cemetery. <laughs> Which again, super hot guy. Like, I, I don't know why King thought it was like, maybe it, it works better in books, but like in a movie, the idea of like this daylight scenery just nixes any sense of horror. Hey, it worked for right. Midsummer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Ariaster and McGarris are definitely <laughs> same level. I'd love to see like you know McGarris tackle Hereditary. Um, oh man, no, I will say it's it's true. It's like it just didn't quite. I, I, I wish that the horror was more intense, but the thing about it was like, as soon as something negative would happen, Charles, and I don't know, in a way it's like, in retrospect, I almost kind of appreciate this, but it's like, because they didn't keep up a huge, like they never tried to make 
Charles like a good guy necessarily. No, but they also didn't really make him a bad guy. Right. But it's like, so as soon as he tries to kill her and she fights him off, he's pure evil. Like there was never that conflicted sense of like, oh, I have to do this for my mother. And that's the weirdest thing is that like the whole tryst of this is that like, or, you know, whole conflict apparently is that it's a love triangle between Mm -hmm. Tanya and the mother, mother Brady or no mother, mother Brady mother uh, <laughs> yeah yeah mother Brady and you know and like he has to decide between two but I I guess you kind of get that at a surface level in this movie but you don't really get the the actual implications or intuitions of like you never get an intuitive sense of like that he's actually in love with this with this woman like you just think right. that like oh yeah well they have somewhat of a connection for some fucking reason because he offered her a ride home like but it's like so but when they like kiss and everything and then he like kind of attacks her and then she fights him off and then he's immediately evil Mm -hmm. and then he gets in his car and then he's getting chased by a cop and he's evil yeah and the cop pulls up next to him and he gives the cop the finger and he's totally (laughs) strong until he sees a fucking little kitty cat yeah and then he's like oh and his head changes (laughs) like to 10 different things so our final character that we really want to talk about about is a cat Clovis. um clovis, clovis. love clovis who, what, what kills me all right here's here's the thing where i knew that i pretty much just departed from actually even taking this movie seriously at all <laughs> is when uh brady comes home to his mom um you know charles brady comes home to his mom mary brady and he's like they're on to us the cat saw me <laughs> like what there's like 80 yeah. cats in their front lawn yeah because they're all for some reason they're all being drawn to them because i guess they want to fight them <laughs> But then they have one trap. It's like one bear trap, right? For this cat. Yeah, the only thing it kills is a cop. Or yeah, something. like fucking. Re- just the fact that like he's like, well, everything's ruined. This cat knows us. They're gonna get us. Like, so what does he think is gonna happen? Clovis is gonna talk to this these cops. Like, go, I almost wish yeah. the movie went to that level where. You know, they get back to the station. Everyone's saying, like, boy? so busy day. And then and then you hear like, huh, you say it. it, it you, or it's like, huh, you said it. And then the, you think it's like, you know, the cop that said it. But no, 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 it's the cat. And the, everyone just starts talking to the cat like it's a normal fucking thing. And Clovis yeah. has like an animated it's mouth. A, like I got to tell you, I saw it was a demon. Yeah. <laughs> it like lights up a cigarette. And yeah. <laughs> We've seen a lot of weird stuff in this town. Exactly. Like a talking cat. But. We've got some humanoid cats here. I got to tell you, though, if I was a cop, I'd have a little cat that would go around with me. Yeah. My little deputy. I thought it was kind of cute when Clovis tried to use the shotgun. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a cat a friend in college who was a cat. And I used wait, wait, to. You had a cat friend in college yeah. who was a cat? Yeah, it was the name okay. was Shindy. And I used to, uh, pr- I used to like, it was the kind of cat that would just let you pick it up and oh, know, that's cool do whatever cat. you wanted with it. Michelle doesn't let you do that. And No, Michelle is not happy when I do that. But I would like pick him up and then cock him like a shotgun and like shoot people. <laughs> and he would just like like be totally like hanging there like a like a lump and I loved it. So so let me just say that I love Clovis, good kitty, and I'm glad that the kitties won in this movie, mm-hmm. although I feel bad for all the cats that died. So yeah. they were the best characters. And... Clovis is the best and only good character in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I guess, in the, like, I mean, there are a lot of ridiculous parts in this movie and it's almost too many to name. But like when I think one of the biggest problems also is just the sense of pacing in this so that you never really get a mm-hmm. sense that there are any actual uh, scenes to latch on to. Like they're just like one crazy thing in one seemingly innocuous scene after another. Like you'll be watching something and go, oh, yeah, this is happening. Oh, wow. They just got she just got attacked. 
and then mm-hmm. things go back to normal again and then all of a sudden oh there's a huge chase and then after that it's just a slow sort of weird discussion with the mother and son and then Mike it's- it sounds like what you're talking about is a nightmare but also a dreamscape <laughs> Dreamscape. So maybe we should go to nightmares and dreamscapes. I grab the Benadryl. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Here we are in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. This is when we talk about the things we liked, but also maybe the things we didn't like as much. <laughs> so, Mike, you were talking about the, the sense of pacing in this movie, yeah. which I agree with you 100%. This thing moves in such an odd way. Yeah. It's 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 very bizarre to me. It's slow as molasses, as yeah. they say, uh, at, at, in most of the time, you know, in, in most of the scenes. And then it goes at this like breakneck speed all of a sudden and then it slows back down again it, it, it's like <laughs> it's like watching um uh, a runner who just like find like it's muscle spasms <laughs> <laughs> like you know like oh he's back no no no, he's back on it uh, he's, he's straightened things out oh no he's 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 got the the spasms hitting him again he, ah, he's down like this movie is is it's is lethargic and then it's manic and well it's mm-hmm. all together it's manic but it's lethargic and then it's like you know anxious and and well, the, it's just all over the place well and it's so it's really it hard kind to of get a like, grasp it on starts anything. as this whole seduction story of yeah. magic and amic and then but the, that's what i think is so funny about it is that as soon as he makes a move and she deflects him he becomes evil and he ha- and he starts cracking one-liners about killing her and mm. everything and mm. then uh she like knocks his eye out or whatever and then <laughs> there's that huge fight and then he goes home and then like the whole last half of the movie is like the mother tending to him while they have these emotional scenes and then her killing all the cops that hey. keep streaming into <laughs> her I, house. I don't think Madge and Amic is the only link to David Lynch here I think this is actually the blueprint for uh, Lost Highway <laughs> because halfway through this movie it he does. just becomes a totally different character. It totally does. And like, I don't know. I Yeah, and like, I'll talk about this maybe a little bit later in this section about the practical effects in this movie which i actually kind of liked and but i think that story-wise though it is really jarring and bizarre the way it goes from this sort of like teenage seduction story which is how i always thought it was like i remember when i saw the trailers for it it was a mix of okay there's this like there's this uh, Jaguar-like violence here. There is this sort of like yeah. na- teeth-gnashing kind of violence that is happening here. But there's also this teen sex element. There mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. this sense of like, you know, youthful horniness and things of that of that nature. And so there was always something very titillating about this movie that was also very scary about it, which I think was what King was going for. But that's the thing is the whole latter half of this movie just kind of veers in this different direction where the incest subplot kind of becomes this huge thorn in its side. Mm-hmm. And and the relationship between the mom and the son becomes like almost like a hindrance, like because he just lays on the couch, like, like fucking wounded for the whole last half. Yeah, like when they just... when they go back to the house and he's laying there, you're like, oh yeah, that's where he's been. Yeah, and I just feel mm. like the whole like everything kind of grinds to a weird halt where it's just this. Like I said earlier, it's like it almost feels like a video game where it's like this endless stream of enemies keep coming into yes. the house or various mm. other things, and she kind of like dispatches of them in various ways and then you know in the end it's just the kitty cats that kill her. <laughs> well yeah exactly because you know what's funny is that you'd think that like all right you see a cop and his cat 
cat has some in- intuition there, <laughs> but you'd th- probably like on the surface think that the cat would die and the cop would have to avenge it. No, no, not in this movie. The cop dies and then the cat has to avenge the cop. I will say that was like the only moment in this movie where I felt any sense oh, of yeah. like sweetness was when the cat like got on his dead body and yeah. like laid on him. Does, it doesn't like, help Clovis. that like, you know, Dan Martin is just trying his hardest to play. Love Dan Martin. You know, Deputy Andy Simpson, uh, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> I called him Tron Cop because of his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I loved his glasses. I that that whole era of because uh, this is it's still got a lot of the, like the the early eighties like late seventies sort of uh, ve- you know vehicles in here. Yeah. Um, and then the cops kind of match that that sort of set, you know setting too. Like they all yeah. seem like they could have walked out of like um, I don't know like some of the cop you know procedurals of like the early eighties that yeah. were on like NBC in the daytime or something like that. But because well, um, the entire thing doesn't feel like it exists anywhere. No. Like, I don't know if I've ever been so aware of like the set or like, yeah. the, like <laughs> I feel like there's, like I can see the camera right behind my shoulder. You know, it just doesn't feel like it, like there's no definition of the space or the town or anything. It's oh, just none. like, well, it's clearly it's like, on a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. We talked about that. When we were watching it. Like this is a Warner lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like look- it's just from bonker shit to bonker shit, and on a weird high school set, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like if you look close enough, you could probably like you know see like sets from Friends <laughs> or like Seinfeld. Uh, I'm trying know. to think of like the weird shows that were around back then, though. Yeah. Like that was pre Friends. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, there are definitely episodes of Northern Exposure that are you know there you go you know, definitely are superior to this. But but I will say um, so. I, well, I would say that I'm con- a little bit confused by the fact that there was a feline aspect to the the demonic presence of these characters, considering cats were like their number one enemy. Like I always yeah. thought the villains were cats, yeah, but then they were scared of cats, but no. they were also cat-like. It's I don't get so it. So convoluted, <laughs> like that that sort of dichotomy um, slash conundrum is why I would say he was just fucking shoving lines Loaded. up his nose yeah. like left and right like vacuuming well it you've got the humanoid cats <laughs> but what happens to the regular cats maybe they're subservient to the real humanoid cats and we need to have them fight in in, in ancient egypt that's what they were doing but now this is in ancient egypt oh uh, i wish to, we had more ancient uh, egypt content like it's just a flashback mm-hmm. i know? wish they start out like the fifth element and you actually like <laughs> We're in Perry? Egypt, yeah, with uh, Luke Perry's in it too. Um, <laughs> no, they, they, I, I don't want to look too I hard know, into. I know, I feel peace. bad for Luke. God, rest in peace, Dylan. It was I like a him. year ago, I think. I know. Yeah, it was around this time because I remember writing the obit right before uh, Sapai, um, mm. back in the days when there weren't the coronavirus to worry about. Oh um, boy! But anyway, you mean Captain Trips? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jen, what uh, what were your dreams and uh, what were your uh, what were your dreamscapes and what were your nightmares? Um, okay, so my dreamscape, the thing that worked for me the most, I think, was the um, the pencil ear kill. That was terrifying <laughs> and still, like, yeah. I, I do remember watching that when I was little. And just, ah, yeah. oh. And that he still, like, stands up and, like, exists with that thing sticking into his head just freaked me out so much. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think they call it cop kebab on the soundtrack. Yeah, and and, and that's a lot of, uh, like, constant listeners on um, the comments were – basically mentioning that, with that. Yeah. it's like yeah. if everyone like what the fuck are they talking about like uh, um, ugh, that just grossed me out and my um nightmare was basically anytime anybody said anything <laughs> <laughs> i wrote down quite a bit of the dialogue although it might be better for pound cake <laughs> okay we'll save it for pound cake uh mm-hmm. i would say that my dreamscape ultimately here's the thing 
was as much as I think sort of their uh, like their you know their true presence, their demonic presence yeah. was was a little silly. There was something about it like when you saw the full body aspect of it that kind of freaked me out because it there was a I was saying this to you during the movie, Mike, but there's like a gray man quality to it, yeah. like the alien, mm-hmm. like um you know oval like oval eyed yeah, yeah gray man quality like to, fire in the sky yeah the fire in the sky quality to the bodies that existed in this world and it was really i don't know like ultimately i'll always find that a little bit unnerving because the gray man quality is like the gray man template or at least the shape and the body has always been a very unnerving thing to me and there was aspects of that too like when you saw mary as that creature and i thought mm-hmm. it was kind of very unnerving and i also i would say ultimately i liked a lot of the practical effects even though they looked a little cheesy yeah i, I would I say applauded for that I mean, but i was saying to you too that i'm like i feel like my standards are really low because everything now is cgi yeah so mm-hmm. i'm always a little bit charmed by practical effects it certainly makes me appreciate those days when you just had a bunch of guys probably on set like just howling at figuring out how yeah. to do some sort of trick. And nowadays you just have them being like, uh, oh, oh, no, no, no. Just just wrap your hand in this blue thing. We got <laughs> you. you know. Whereas my nightmare was the fact that the soundtrack sounded so much like Back to the Future. Yeah, which is really weird. So Nicholas Pike <laughs> is the composer. Um, and he's it worked with Mick Garris a bunch. And it is like a, a it does feel like a ripoff of Back to the Future score, which doesn't seem like the type of score you'd want for, I don't know, a movie about humanoid cats fighting regular <laughs> cats involving uh, love trysts with Hollywood uh, or with, with high school darlings and sheriffs that are using cats as, uh, as detective leads <laughs> and all. I, I mean... Maybe actually no. Maybe it does actually need to use the 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 score from Back to the Future. That seems a little yeah. far fetched, but you know. It was okay, like so it, when Einstein goes back like a minute or ahead. Yes. Did he go ahead or behind? Maybe the cats were actually like the first <laughs> test case, and they went back to ninety two, or they went forward to ninety two, and they evolved, and then they came back, and they weren't accepted by their own kind. And maybe that's why there's such bad blood. It I think could that's be true. that this is linked to Back to the Future. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I mean, it, isn't everything linked to Back to the Future? It could be. I mean, I just imagine Doc Brown popping up everywhere. Um, I would love it if he made a cameo. It would be great. It just like zip lines in to save the day at the end. Right, Scott. Uh, the plutonium. Um, plutonium will defeat these monsters. <laughs> what if, what if, uh, oh, he, here's a question that's kind of related to Back to the Future. Actually, it is. Would this movie have been better if Crispin Glover was playing the lead? Are you kidding? Like, this is like my beat of yeah. course he would have yeah. it would have been better. i just teeing you off there i knew you were gonna say that but i mean can't he control rats with his mind yes Ooh. yeah we, we get, Glover can literally do anything especially if he was, yeah if he was playing willard so he could use the rats against the cats yeah. one, of these, one of these days on this podcast i will need to tell the story about the time i met crispin glover yeah definitely which is literally a storytelling piece that i do because it's such a good story we should uh do it on a, an exclusive app when we finally get our uh patreon ah no know? spoilers yeah, uh, that may or that. may not be happening yeah uh so crispin glover we'll talk about that in a future episode <laughs> um so i think i i've personally for me uh my nightmare was I, I agree with jen i think the dialogue was just atrocious but for me it's just the story in general i just think this is just like if if it wasn't stephen king and if it was like you know uh, Sheldon, uh, you know Sheldon Mickelson from Idaho coming into Los Angeles. <laughs> hey, I got this. I got this screenplay idea. Oh, what is it? Uh, and who are you? Well, I just walked onto set, but uh, 
I've been working my whole like my my whole life working on this story, and I got to the studio and and I and I snuck in and, and here's my elevator pitch. Okay, go for it, kid. Well, it's about humanoid cats fighting regular cats <laughs> with a human. Tra- just exactly what I said before. They would kick him off the lot and probably you know maybe call a mental institution. It's about humanoid cats who want to kill a, a teen virgin, but they're afraid of real cats. Of real cats. Yeah. Meanwhile. <laughs> There's they a sleep with their moms. They sleep there's with their moms. There's also incest. There's also incest. And, and they're like, oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Well, keep talking. Uh, and, and there's a, a sheriff uh, who, or a deputy, I mean, sorry, uh, who has a, a, a cat that's smarter than the, sh- the, the deputy. Oh, I, I kind of like the cat. Can the cat talk? No. <laughs> Not until the sequel. Not until the sequel, yeah. Did this- either of you ever see a talking cat with Eric Roberts? Yes, I have. Oh, well, what? it kind of it went viral, like, God, it was back when me and my wife first started dating. So it was like 2013. And it was a movie that was on Netflix. This is like early in Netflix's like streaming. Uh, like when people were like really into Netflix streaming. And uh, it was a movie called A Talking Cat with like two exclamation points and like a question mark. And Eric Roberts did the voice of the talking cat. And it was like the most wow. low budget thing you've ever seen. But the funny, the funniest thing was Eric Roberts clearly recorded all of his voice like stuff like over the phone. And you can hear like the hum of the oh phone. And like God. you can hear like he's like recording it in his bathroom. And he's not even trying. It's just like, yeah, I'm a talking oh, cat. Hey, what are you God. doing? It's like so good. And it. It went viral at the time for being like a so bad it's good movie, yeah. and it's really fucking bad. Like I, it was like right when my wife and I first started dating, and we got sushi and we watched it, and we had the best time. Well, that this movie is equally bad, I would imagine. Um, but you were just talking about cats, and Eric Roberts, <laughs> and I don't know about you, but in Pet Cemetery, I believe. <laughs> There is a huge cat in there, and his name is Gage. Uh, no, his name is not Gage. His name is it's Church. not Gage. It's it's Church. Sorry, um, they both go to the cemetery, and they're though. buried in the cemetery, which is where we're going. <laughs> okay, that's what you're talking. About. You moron! Oh God! All right. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all okay we're in the cemetery and oh man so much stuff scared me in this movie well the pencil jen you were saying the pencil uh, got under your skin yeah Ooh. Yeah, that I, one got me. The corn cob one, not so much. No. <laughs> I'm saving that for pound cake. I, I don't. It's not sexual, but yeah, I guess it could be. I think there. <laughs> yeah, it, it is probably. It is. It's got like a, a sort of sexual overtone to it. I would argue that not even Are You Afraid of the Dark, but like Halloween episodes of Disney Channel favorites are more terrifying than this movie. <laughs> Yeah, which considering the subject matter, like there she's getting assaulted. They're like murdering a bunch of cops terribly, and yeah. it's so goofy. Yeah, you know? it's so goofy. Like I'll I feel say, like in a different director, this would have been a really dark, scary movie. Yeah, I'm just saying though, if I had seen this when I was a kid, it would have been a different story. You know, you know, <laughs> I would have been scared by a lot. In of hindsight, us. you know who would have uh, really elevated this film, and he was literally there on set. Crispin Glover. N- well, no, Crispin Glover <laughs> could have done that. Um, although it would have probably been some wacko fucking <laughs> experimental film involving like cheese 
Um, he would have had the best dance scene in the movie theater. I agree. Yeah, he would have pulled out his uh, his his, his final chapter movies. Yeah, it could have been like, uh, "You my density." Um, I I would say Joe Dante. Like this is trying. Like, this this would have been a good Joe Dante. Somebody movie. like Joe Dante who knows how to mix in the the heightened comedy in the the sort of like subtle horror yeah you know because like that's what's great about gremlins is that like as as much as it's funny and cute and campy there are some scary moments in there that get under your, your well it's a, a nasty bit. movie yeah exactly like that's what i like about gremlins is it's like kind of like me and this movie never gets really nasty yeah this movie doesn't really go there, it yeah. tries but it's it's like it has this like sort of superficiality to it yeah mm-hmm. like a sheen on top of it yeah you know he also could have called upon uh john landis who's got experience murdering people he so. does yeah and, and you know and on this set i'm sure they were trading stories about how they <laughs> cut off vic morrow's head um okay <laughs> i brought it up you went too far you need to edit that shit out. <laughs> I, I don't know i mean it's <laughs> allegedly <laughs> we talked about it in our world episode. so let's talk about Nothing. There's nothing to talk about in this what section. What scared me is no. I'll say this though. Like this wait. is the thing. Is can't it did, wait to see how you got. It didn't scare me. Nothing in this like scared me. But I'll say that if I saw it when I was a kid, like this is the kind of movie I almost wish I had seen when I was like ten years old. Like when I was mm-hmm. scared of the trailer. Like the you know it was the the unnatural face. Like you know yeah. the I feel like some of the makeup at least when the face narrows in, like when it zeroes in that is something that is unnerving and strange when you're young. And so, mm-hmm. and then also just the, the hand getting ripped off the blood gushing, like those various moments. Yeah. Like there's a lot of like superficial gore in this movie that I feel like when I was a kid, it really would have upset me Yeah, as an adult. It's very silly, but I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like I can understand people who like maybe grew up on this movie and found it really spooky. Like I would never say like, like we're like, laughing at this movie because yeah of course it's very silly but i i feel like this was probably for a lot of people like a really seminal movie when they were young like it could be yeah i could see like really spooky to them i I could also see it as um being the equivalent of like if i went over my friend's house and they had a haunted house in october and they had some really cool effects like the hand being pulled off and and i wouldn't be scared but i'd be like well that's pretty cool you pulled it off yeah and then i'd you know i'd be like good luck tonight and then I'd leave. Good luck tonight. <laughs> you know, like th- there's nothing really here that it's just kind of shocking. Like, I mean, even writing the bullet, which is kind of a lesser known McGarris film, there's actually more unnerving scenes in that. And that's kind of just, and maybe it's just because I have an affinity for Jonathan Jackson, but um, who's great and underrated and should have mm-hmm. been Kyle Reese more. But um, in the Wait, Terminator, who? he was, ter- he was Kyle Reese in the Terminator, uh, Saracona Chronicles. Um, Wait, what's his name? Jonathan Jackson. He was mud in Camp Nowhere. Yeah. I was My right about to say, was that the kid from Camp Nowhere? Yeah. I went like... for his uh, random, uh, uh, you know, cameo in a in a lesser known <laughs> Fox series <laughs> spinoff. But uh, I literally know him from Camp Nowhere. But anyway, my point is, is that like he for actually working with King on an original story, like it's it's kind of just. Uh, I don't know, like wild that like there isn't anything scary about this. And well, you know, it's interesting because he's trying to pull off some of that suburban horror, which is that whole concept of like a demonic presence being yeah. in, like a small town, which is like a very classic king yeah. trope. Well, we just don't believe that this is actually a suburban right. area. Like, because... and they try to pull that. Like, <laughs> it's not a lot. like yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about like when you know she lifts up the cop and impales him on the the picket uh-huh. fence right mm-hmm. and that's yeah. such like a kingian yeah. sort of idea like that yeah. oh it's this it's like suburban 
uh, milieu and you have this like demon like killing a guy using one of the uh, touch points for this kind of world but it just resonates really hollowly, hollowly because like clearly this house exists in a vacuum like it doesn't yeah. exist on a street next to other houses this fence is not like connected to other houses like this is uh, a, a set on a lot yeah. and, that, and that really that really resonates and I think it's like you just don't feel that same sense of immersion that yeah. maybe you feel yeah. like there's no weight yeah there's no weight to it, it I mean especially makes, like 49 yeah. minutes in when like you know it cuts away from uh, Brian Krause and you see like a person that's like doing a tour tram is like on to your left. Uh, they're filming Nick uh, Garris' uh, <laughs> forthcoming Stephen King movie. Uh, wave everyone! Um, no, that, howdy, that, howdy, folks! It's me, Stephen King. Not even trying to like dress up the set to look as if it's lived in. Like it's like the cleanest fucking set ever. I've like seen Sims. Uh, like the Sims live in more lived-in cities than this. Um, Sims. God, I sound like Dennis Miller. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, the Sim City, uh, four thousand looks a lot a of people more on fire in this movie. Yeah, a lot of people in their body of suits. Are... Fire suits. Yeah. I know, but Mike and I got a kick out of the uh, the, the giant heads, the obvious fire suits. <laughs> they have huge, giant paper mache heads. We know they're wearing them, yeah. which is fine. Yeah, like, you know, but it's like at least try to mask it yeah. a little bit more. They all look like uh, you know, like Wim Butler in the Reflector tour. Yeah, um, with good, good huge, comparison yeah. there. Well, hey, you know, we are part of a music site, so let's <laughs> well, let keep me it say that. that no. I will also say that Mike also said, how do they get all the cats to do that? Yeah, <laughs> like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> like when they were jumping on her, when it was clear it's a bunch of fucking stuffed animals <laughs> that she's riding around with. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not real fucking cats, you dumbass. <laughs> I'd like to believe that they had a top-notch Hollywood handler who is able to fucking get the goddamn cats to stay on this guy. It's Crispin Glover, and he can also control cats. It's true. See, yeah. I would love that. See? Willard shows up. He's like, yeah. I control cats now, too. I, uh, I've i learned. <laughs> I will say, like, in, in, in other weird film comparisons, when the cats, like, broke through the skin of yeah. the demon woman and fire came out, yes. it just, of course, I all I could think of is fucking racing Arizona when they, like, shoot uh, Tex... <laughs> what's his name tex uh i can't remember his name uh, yeah you know the randall tex cop yeah, yeah that's yeah. It, when they shoot him and then fire comes out like yes, his yeah skin, like when they shoot him i always loved that when i was a kid because i saw raising arizona when i was like way too young to see it even though it's not like an r-rated movie really, it's not no but there is something unnerving it's about like adult it. themes into it yeah it's adult of, themes yeah. but i love that fucking movie oh, and yeah. so but it's like cartoonish it's like, but i remember finding it so scary when i was a kid like that character but the idea that flame came out when they shot him was like a very iconic scary thing for yeah. me when I was young and or like when they attacked him like when he gets hit with like the arrow or whatever and um and uh so I actually like there was a little part of me that felt that little ting like yeah. that ting from when I was a kid and would watch raising Arizona when the yeah. fire came out but uh but I was also laughing because you thought the the cats were real <laughs> well so- I, it, it's been nice that we've not only had to dig six feet under but I probably about 18 feet under to find any scares in this movie <laughs> uh, within the cemetery here uh, I mean have- it is horrifying but for different reasons <laughs> yes exactly should we, should we have a snack is, are we hungry I, I, I think I'm I'm ready for some pound cake. We've been walking through the cemetery for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time for a, a nice slice of pound cake. Yeah. After all you've been taught, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, mom. You like him. You really like him, mama. 
Ah, welcome to Pancake. Oh, how this about is that? This section of the podcast where we talk about uh, the stuff that uh, made us horny. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> yeah. is that a good summation? I think that's a good summation. And I, and I think there's a lot in it in this movie in the sense that, um, well, you know, when it comes to, no, I'm not even going to go down that road, but. I actually, don't know where you were going. I think with this. That. I think this pound cake is a little soured, actually, <laughs> because it's been spending too much time with other similar pound cakes. Because this movie is built upon right from the beginning incest. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it is a little like. Uh, like yeah, it's a lot know. of grossness, and, and that's why just, I wasn't going to go down that road because I was like, well, I don't there was a lot of, that and joke. then we even got like some like like full on nude well not like full frontal but we got some like nude sex with incest sex yeah Yeah. which is pretty gross and then some mirror cat suit weird nude incest sex too yeah like the whole rules for like when they turn into cats and when they don't when they're not cats it's a little murky there yeah right it's a little weird why would you have so many mirrors in your house if I know. you're going to be a giant weird cat. <laughs> it's like the aliens and science coming down to a planet full of water. Full of water. Right. You know, I'll still stand by that movie. And I don't really, you know, maybe they didn't know. Oh, parts know. of it are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'll say too, I'll say too, I'm going to throw the corn cob in pound cake because it's so mm-hmm. fucking stupid. It is. But yeah. I will say like, it's kind of iconic in its own way too. Like this woman literally stabs the guy in the back with a corn cob and it like pierces his skin and kills him. Like it pierces his fucking spinal cord. Yeah. And it's a it's a fucking corn on the cob. Yeah. And to me, it is what it that I feel like if I was a kid, that's like iconic. Well, it's also a good summation for this film. Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh, no. In the back with corn. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there are three things that you could pretty much like, you know, summarize this film. One, a cat leads a team of of cops Um, like just a regular cat. No supernatural abilities whatsoever. Just a regular cat named Clovis. Two. Um, Sergeant Clovis. Sar- Sergeant Clovis, actually. <laughs> uh, two, uh, in- incest cats. <laughs> and then three, uh, uh, cob death. Cob death. Yeah. Like, there you go. That's that's sleepwalkers right there. Oh, and maybe if you want to say... The cob death is her line because she says, no vegetables, no dessert. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like... King had to have been on cocaine when he wrote yes. that. Yeah. What are you doing, man? I will <laughs> say though, I I, I kind of love it. It's it's so fucking stupid, and I I I, I the boldness, the brashness yeah. of it, I can appreciate. Like who came yeah. up with that idea? Like yeah, she calls him with a corn cob, or uh, cob corn. Is it cob corn or corn cob? <laughs> lost my mind corn on the cob. this movie has lost made me lose my mind i know i know but i'll say this this is probably the i okay we've recorded what like a hundred episodes of this podcast oh How many? We've, we're at like 140 or 140 150 not more yeah i'd say we've talked about corn in various iterations yes. on 100 to yeah. and 20 of them mm-hmm. so because we're talking about corn and uh, we have to talk about the band corn. So, Jen, have you ever seen the band corn in concert? I have not seen the band corn in concert. I think I have heard more of you guys talking about corn <laughs> than I have actually heard corn's music. That's probably a good thing, actually. Yeah, you're probably better off. It's probably, it's like miserable, like sad bastard music that is just. You know um, what? I, you know what was nice was after last week's episode where we talked about corn for probably about 10 minutes. Yeah. The, this is Maybe a little longer. Not just the dish corn, which I also enjoy. Uh, but <laughs> we had a few a few fans who said, hey, thanks for the corn talk. Well, they did like that. And <laughs> they want to I'm gonna add this to the corn talk. Um, <laughs> you know, yesterday was National Pound Cake Day. It was um, big yeah. de- big day for all of us, uh, uh, you know, constant readers and constant listeners. <laughs> now, is cornbread? We've had this conversation multiple times on the on the podcast, but I'm going to bring it one more time because we're talking about corn. 
cornbread and pound cake are totally different, different totally but different. i feel like they're so similar that they could almost trade the same uses like i could take yep. pound cake and use it with chili probably and i think i'd still be okay yeah that's mm-hmm. probably true you put a little honey on your cornbread and then it's dessert right there and so go. now here's my question on that is can corn be in pound cake well i think so yeah i mean maybe you're just confusing it because the thing about pound cake is that it's like sex because you pound. During yes, sex. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas cornbread. Is that why it's called that? Yeah. Oh, well, well, it's, it's also from 1122. Yeah, yeah. But I will say uh, uh, cornbread has no sexual connotations. It doesn't. And well, that's why we use pound mm, cake. Really well, cornhole kind of has gross connotations. That's disgusting, is. and I won't, I won't entertain it on this conservative <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's this conservative podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Alex Jones, and uh, uh, let me tell you the truth about corn on the cob. No, I'm going to tell you right now. There's a there's a corn problem happening in this country, um, and all right, we've it's lost. Stephen King is trying to turn your kids gay. Oh God. Yeah. Well, um, so back to pound cake about this. Wait, what are we talking about? Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers. <laughs> 1992 film. We have lost. Mick Garris directed derailed. it. Stephen King wrote it. Yeah. So let's go into Heroes and Villains. No, I was joking. Um, let's talk about. <laughs> wait, is there anything else to say about Pound Cake? I, I, I'm trying to remember. Like, there's a lot of stuff. I feel like Madge and Amick is like over sexualized in this movie. Um, and, and also under sexualized in ways, yeah. but yeah. She's a virgin. You, she is yeah. a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's... So the mom does talk very seductively about rubbings with um, <laughs> her daughter's maybe boyfriend. <laughs> She says, rubbings. I do rubbing too. Do you use powder or stick? And he says, stick. And she asks, really? Don't you find that a little hard? And just the eyes that they're giving each other. It's That's definitely pound cake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's some good it's pound cake. Yeah, that's, that's like delicious. genuine uh, Stephen King from page to screen <laughs> pound cake right there. Um, other than that, I mean, there's, I mean, look, you have, it's literally a movie about incestuous humanoid cats. Like, that is peak pound cake this in a way. kind of broken us if i'm being it honest. has broken us because i don't know what it what is really actually happening in the movie <laughs> and, and 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 i really don't like and and i've and i've read all the synopses i've i've literally read the entire rundown and it still like doesn't translate to an actual cohesive story we didn't really talk about how this was like wildly successful at the box office. oh yeah well we'll get to that in a second it's fucking insane wow. um, yeah so I'm I'm like it's not that I'm full from pound cake because I I guess I am because there's a lot of it in this movie but more, for me I'm just more fatigued. Yeah. You, know? you ate too much. I yeah. just want to get yeah. a nap. Very on the nose. Before you can take a nap though we got to take a stroll through a little place we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Ah, welcome to King's Dominion. Well, like uh, the cemetery, it's a little barren here. Um, well, there is a, there is one. <laughs> yeah, one. Th- Will, there's a cop that runs out and says cop, Castle Rock. He mentions oh, yeah. the words Castle Rock. Yeah. I and think then, that's it. And then Doc Soames. Uh, oh, yeah, Doc yeah. Soames. Yeah. Well, it's, okay. it's Officer Soames. Yeah, Officer Soames. <laughs> to you, Mr. <laughs> Jen, do you have uh, any 237s or, or King's Dominion that you, that you picked up? This is probably more a 237, but so when the Ma- Mama Brady kills two of the cops and she slams their heads together... That is the way um, Barlow kills the parents in Salem's Lot. Oh, yeah. that is true. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, funny. Wow. I actually like 
when she did that, that rang a bell for me, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And then you just articulated it. I, it works a lot better in Salem's Lot, I think. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of things in Salem's wa- <laughs> Lot work much better uh, than, than Sleepwalkers. Agreed. Um, you know, so because this, there isn't a lot of Kings doing here, I'm going to read some facts that, that, that I read um, online that are pretty cool and they tie into you know, just the the context of the movie, which we'll call it King's Dominion. Why not? Um, this is from geekdad.com, my favorite site. Um, geekdad.com? Yeah. Why yeah. are they writing about sleepwalkers? I don't know. Jesus Christ, I don't know why. They're, they're geeks. They want to talk about sleepwalkers. Um, so one f- first fact, the cat monster suit in Sleepwalkers wasn't the original design. Instead, due to time constraints, special effects des- designer Tony Gardner had, a se- had to settle for the less articulated version. Fortunately, the intended design would appear in a future Stephen King movie, The Tommyknockers. So there's some King's Dominion. I was thinking like maybe it was the Night Flyer or something because the I always thought that there's like a similarity to the way the vampire looks in the Night Flyer to this movie. Yeah, it's true. And and I'm trying to think about like what in Tommyknockers. The alien thing? I guess, but that I don't know. It looks like an alien. I get. I just don't see the connection. Maybe I, I've been so long since I've seen the Tommy Knockers miniseries. Um. So the morphing technology was. Uh, I'm not even going to just do it because there's some facts that. We're Why is this about. on Dad? I know Geek Dad. Geek Dad. Like I'm still hung up there. Just doing trivia. On they're probably like, look, it's what. What do we got from '92? Well, uh, Sleepwalkers. Oh, I remember geek taking dad my kids. Geekdad.com. Yeah, Geekdad.com. So if you're looking for some good Geek, there's got to be a better place geek to get Mom, Sleepwalkers trivia, apparently, <laughs> and Geek Family. So there you go. Oh, nice. Um, this one, uh, <laughs> Geek Grandma How, is. Is anyone really even good. listening? In All this, right, here we go. Episode. Here we so, go. The uh, next, the next so, trivia piece from yeah. GeekDad.com. So the morphing technology was taken from Michael Jackson's black and white video, which you could tell. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, yeah, Geek so, Dad. Oh, um, okay. So the the ton of cameos at the end of this movie. We already talked about Clyde Barker, Joe Dante, John Landis, <laughs> Toby Hooper. And Stephen King. Um, Steven Spielberg. It was all filmed on. Uh, it was all filmed on the Columbia Pictures Studio lot, <laughs> and at the same time, they were filming Bram Stoker's Dracula and Hook. So I just like to imagine that Dustin Hoffman was like taking a cigarette break, and he's like, "Oh, what's going on over there? Why is uh, <laughs> who's that woman from Twin Peaks uh, that's in that show?" Um, Keanu Reeves and yeah. Dustin Hoffman like just, meeting yeah. up for a cigarette, yeah. and being like, "Ah, oh, Matchkin. Yeah, hey, you're a Twin Peaks fan. Right? Lynch is a genius." <laughs> I'd, I'd love to work with him. You know, I was supposed to be an elephant man. Uh, um, so here's the craziest thing. It was it was shot. It was only it, this movie cost fifteen million dollars to make, which is, seems insane to me. Like, yeah. I, I I feel like there are bigger movies that have had lower budgets than this that look a lot more like they've done. You know, like they had like sixty million dollar. Well, you know what I'm always fascinated by is like like where did the money go to this? Well, you just mm-hmm. think about the fact that I don't know. You watch like a lot of movies that were made in the early nineties. Yeah. And then you watch like the Coen brothers Barton Fink, which yeah. was made in like ninety one. Yeah. Or like ninety three, somewhere around there. That movie looks like it was made today. Oh yeah, I know. And that's what I think is so fascinating. It's yeah. like you see so many movies from the from the early nineties and you're like, God, that's such a fucking nineties movie, but then you see certain movies and you're like And I bet you the bu- yeah. the, the, the budget for Barton Fink was like two million dollars. Oh, I guarantee, yeah. 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 And this movie looks like it was made for I don't know, thirty dollars and you know, well, you don't get uh, trading in CDs. You don't get, um, like your uncle's house. Yeah, right. Like you don't get Matchkin cheap. 
I know. Well, <laughs> especially after Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, but here, how much do you think? What this else movie you got made? from Geek Dad? Yeah. Well, how much do you? How much money do you think this made at the box office? Well, you uh, said it did really well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it made about like fifty million. 50, no, seventy million. It, it made thirty million. Uh, so it doubled uh, its budget. Okay. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Go um Mick. So Mark Hamill in the beginning. Yeah. Um, Mark Hamill. Yeah. Did you notice Mark Hamill, Jen? No. Yeah, he's the, the sheriff in the beginning. Oh my gosh, I sent you a picture of that because I thought it was so ridiculous. Yeah, and I was, was just looking at all bad. the hanging cats. See, I was just laughing because I was like, I can't believe. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in that photo, but it, it, it's it's wild to think that Mark Hamill, probably fresh off of the Giver um, yeah. at this point, was His like career was not yeah, in the best place probably at know, that time. Like, Mark, I need your help um, because Mick Garris knew Mark from being a receptionist uh, working on Star Wars. That's why. Oh, so, wow. Mick Harris is, he knows a lot of people in Hollywood. He's been around. So he's probably caught, look, Mick, I'll be there in a, I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> um, you know, so he, he was on there. He does a, a small cameo. never comes back. Um, that was so weird. Here's the best piece of trivia that we've had. Um, instead, this is the best. Instead of celebrating the premiere of Sleepwalkers, star Brian Krause, who, you know, main Brady, uh, he spent the opening night in the Orange County Jail for unpaid parking tickets. <gasps> Unpaid parking tickets, and then he went to go serve a forty-five day shift, uh, a sh- stint, not a shift, a stint at <laughs> the jail, and he had to give his prisoner his the he gave like his, the prisoner his lunch um, that he was with, so they wouldn't say that he was this huge Hollywood star. <laughs> wow, <laughs> which is like here's my fruit cobbler. <laughs> yeah, fruit cocktail. Like, you know, he should have made his car go dim, and then he would have gotten out of those tickets. I know. That's, that's true. It, you could that's just, insane. That was on the premiere. Like, he missed the premiere? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's you know. really sad. I know, isn't it? Uh, God. Like, And yeah. bizarre. So behind bars. You'll like this. Uh, the last last one. Um, you ever heard of the... I don't know. They got a little cheeky with this trivia. You've heard of the well, phrase herding cats? <laughs> This is like all dad jokes, so it makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, that abstract concept became literal when a total of 126 cats were used in the production of this movie. Wow. Uh, to get them to run en masse down the set city streets, the cats weren't fed breakfast and came, and came running when they were finally fed in the afternoon. According to director Mick Garris, the easiest feline to work with was named Sparks, who was a trained oh. Hollywood cat and considered the quote-unquote Robert De Niro of cat actors. <laughs> Was he Clovis? Did I he get wonder to play Clovis? If, I feel like it had to be Clovis. I would assume so. Yeah. When you said, you I gotta think, give your good characters the good roles. I know. When what you if said, it was just one of the cats? That just when you said, jumped. I think you'll like this, I was prepared to make fun of you. But then you're like, no, I'm like, no, that is exactly something that I would is like. a literal <laughs> Randall cat fun fact. Um, uh, that's it for me in terms of King's Dominion. I think There's nothing that, else I think I we're think good of. with King's Dominion. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's time to, to uh, share our final thoughts on Sleepwalkers in a section we call Final Thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Final thoughts. Here we are. Let's uh, let's rate uh, Sleepwalkers on a scale of one to five bright red Pennywise clownos. <laughs> Uh, Jen, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Um, 
I'm gonna give it a I think I gotta give it a one and a half and that half is for insanity because there is a so bad it's good element to this yeah yeah and I did have like I've had a lot of fun talking about it and I did have fun watching it but I mean it's terrible yeah it is it's it's pretty atrocious I I had a little fun uh watching it too I I, and I I think I don't know I think I go I think I'd go I was gonna go with half but that seems a little Just unfair. A half? That seems unfair, right? I'll go with one Pennywise, uh, bright white, bright white Pennywise <laughs> clown nose. White wet. White wet. If only just for the insanity that you said. I I do agree, Jen. I think this could be a fun midnight movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot. I wouldn't even say there are a lot of missed opportunities here. I just think that this is just like, uh, like one of those weird time capsules that you just look at and you go, "Wow, this happened." Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. That's how I feel. I think I would give it. I don't know. I'm always more generous with my ratings. Uh, I think I'd probably give it two bright red Pennywise clown noses, oh. uh, only because the kitties were cute. I loved them. You I like love Clovis, cats. and I wish they killed fewer kitties. Mm-hmm. But I still like the movie. And I, uh, what can I say? Glenn Shattuck's just a Hollywood treasure. <laughs> love them. <laughs> love them. I miss them in the Burton movies. I really do. I know. Um, so I don't know. I This movie is very silly. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish I'd seen it when I was young. I feel like it would have, like the commercial scared me when I was young. And I feel like if I saw it at an impressionable age, maybe some of these moments would have been burned a little bit deeper in my brain. Well, we're, but, we're, yeah. we're not the only losers here that have uh, thoughts on this film. Oh my God. Did you no, solicit so, other responses? I didn't have to solicit too much because on Consequences of Sound, and you were part of this, we had this huge ambitious ranking of every oh, Stephen King yeah. adaptation out there um, which is still you know revolving and we still add to it whenever new ones come out um, The Outsider will surely be added to this once the yeah. first season's done um, so Mac wrote the entry for Sleepwalkers which sits at number 60 out of 80 adaptations <laughs> That, that that's uh, yeah anyway what are the highlights so, of his review so he says two stephen king films came out in 1992 the lawnmower man which was so far removed from the source material that king had his name taken off of the film and sleepwalkers which king actually wrote specifically for the big screen in hindsight he should have taken his name off this one as well <laughs> that's <laughs> such <laughs> a mac line <laughs> directed by mick garris who you'll continue to see on this list sleepwalkers is the story of two creatures of the night mary and her son brady who wandered the world no, during Charles. the draining the life force of unsuspecting pure souls it's an interesting premise that is destroyed by bad special effects and incredibly campy performances among them is brian krauss's portrayal as main villain brady who has the horrible fate of delivering the cop kebab line sorry steven leave the horror comedy to sam raimi whose army of darkness came out the same year maybe ash can make this disappear with the book of the dead <laughs> klaatu barada cop kebab that's actually that's a great write-up it is good. Yeah, I will back. say I disagree about special effects. I, I thought say, those yeah. were okay. They're not bad. It's more the dialogue and the uh, the general uh, fuckery of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so Mac, uh, I think we got to have this one out. You, you're gonna you're gonna go <laughs> what? You're gonna go to his house right now. I think and we have a like, debate. Hey! I think we gotta have a debate on the pod. You're fucking wrong about sleepwalkers. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta talk about special effects and sleepwalkers now. now. <laughs> uh, it's three in the morning. Um, <laughs> you're coming straight from the bar the bar closed and i want to i have i have my two cents with you about mick garris's sleepwalkers uh well, well this was fun jen i hope you had a fun time i hope you had fun talking <laughs> yeah. about this this goofy ass movie 
Uh, we'll be yeah. back next week to talk about The uh, Outsider. Yeah. Because the series is wrapping up. We hope you've been watching it. We are going to have a lot of thoughts about it. And it's been a wild ride. So yeah. we talked about the first, uh, what was it, three episodes? Yeah, Jen and all. The, the same tr- team. Yeah, right the here. same yeah, trio. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, we were. We talked about it several weeks ago. We talked about the the first couple episodes, and we're gonna talk about it as a whole. Uh, probably talk about the book a little bit as well. Now, no spoilers, but you know, we'll talk about and sort Jen, of the general. You're welcome to join us in that one also. Although I know that you're gonna also be on the Gerald's Game episode right after that, so which is coming up. So. There's a lot of stuff going on. So yeah, so. Gerald's Game will be our next book episode. Stay tuned for that. Uh, it's a short one, so yeah. you know. It's What's an, w- what do you got coming up, Jen? Um, well, we just did. I just said we. Oh, hold on. I can't remember. Oh, our one hundredth episode. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I was just so caught up in all the insanity. Um, yeah, our hundredth episode is coming out. Um, I think it's dropping in a couple of weeks, and we did Cabin in the Woods for it. And that yes, was I love that movie. Yeah. And we also have um, we we surprise drop although everybody knows now every friday the 13th we do another installment in the friday the 13th series so we're gonna have part four coming out interesting because so crispin glover well what's interesting about that yeah (laughs) Yeah. like it has the crispin glover connection that we were talking about and then also on friday the 13th halloweenies is uh returning with its friday the 13th coverage there you go um which is uh pretty exciting uh because We've been we've been away for a while. Uh, we actually just dropped a new episode uh, today, uh, which uh, the same day as the Sleepwalkers. So if you really want to, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, you should know that there are about ten better movies, maybe twelve, <laughs> waiting for you to be talked about in our huge ranking of Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which is on the season finale on Halloweenies. Um, so yeah, I guess between Horror Virgin and Halloweenies, there's gonna be a lot of Friday the Thirteenth coverage. A lot of so. good coverage, but hey, you can only find Sleepwalkers here, baby. Yeah, on the exactly. Losers Club podcast. <laughs> yeah, no Jason Voorhees here. No, no, no. he's not allowed. He's no. not a Stephen King creation. Whereas these kitty cats are. <laughs> so please follow us on our socials: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've got fresh content on all of them, and we're gonna be back next week to talk about The Outsider. Mike, what else do you got? And Jen, where can they find you? They can find me at uh, Jim Ferratu on all the socials, and you can find um, Horror Virgin, um, all of our content. Um, in, we've got a Facebook group, and we're Horror Virgin on all of the socials. Ooh, and where uh, can they find you, Randall? Me? Yeah, Just you. Just me personally? <laughs> Just you personally. Uh, Randall Colburn on Twitter. I talk about I, I talk about really dumbass shit all the time. American I retweet pie. pro Bernie shit all the time, so <laughs> probably don't follow yeah, me. Yeah, you probably won't like that, but occasionally <laughs> you'll see these wacko Hours long, <laughs> dumb inside jokes about American Pie. Oh yeah, that gets I think out of hand. One today, right? Yeah, we, we, there was we, one last night. I think. Yeah, that carried over. yeah. Well, whenever those kind of those memes go around where people are just like, oh, it's like film Twitter kind of stuff where it's like, oh, name what movies were big the year you were born. Like, and <laughs> then, an American Pie. Well, people too. always answer them really earnestly, and that's cool, but like, I'm just such a fucking cynical asshole that I, I always answer with something stupid. So I said, I'm American Pie two years old. 2001. Which would make me like 17 or <laughs> yeah. something, and, which is very funny, and I wish Great. it was true. Uh, but uh, yeah. but no, and so I, I love to... I love to do American Pie bits, and let's just say that whenever it pops up, you and Justin are very quick First. in my mentions, and we yes. have a good bit going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's always a good time. So if you're into the pie bits, please follow me on Twitter and get involved. And uh, 
yeah so this was fun thank you jen so much for being on the pod it's always a pleasure to have you we're excited to have you on again in the future and uh mike it's just a pleasure to have you as a guest hey you know i i just love uh, being on the pod (laughs) to steal from caffrey's line totally stealing his bit it's a good bit (laughs) yeah it's a good one uh, it was a blast talk about the sleepwalkers yeah the sleepwalkers the, probably the I, I know that there's been other podcasts that have covered this movie but i, I i'd like to no, think that this has been the craziest one so far i don't think anybody else has ever covered this movie i don't know maybe there, there's gotta be someone out there if they're if they have i'm gonna pretend they don't exist yeah well this, this is, is the, the definitive. very first podcast that has ever covered sleepwalkers yeah. the definitive coverage of sleepwalkers do you think we were the first podcast to ever cover needful things in the movie though that's actually a good point uh, no, probably not. I'm sure that there have been other podcasts that like talked about it as like a token, um, like, well, look at this fun little. No, I think know, we 90s. were the first ones. I'd like to, to think we were the first it. one to talk about it for two and a half hours. <laughs> I but, think we're the know. first podcast to ever talk about Stephen King. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's piss off all the other podcasts right now. Um, <laughs> the Losers yeah. Club. Okay. Thank you guys so much for following us. I think it's time to sign I think out. it's time to wrap. So, uh, so how about we we're do, our... do our, our token goodbye, which is yeah. long days and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. Goodbye. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.